0: Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Ditter, Dennis Maller, interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And this one is going to be, uh, all right, fair warning, this took a lot of editing to get it to make sense. <laughs> My guest on the podcast today is Diane Carroll, uh, filmmaker, comedian, Diane Carroll. She, uh, all right, so this is what happened. I met Diane a couple weeks ago at JP Porch Fest, Jamaica Plain Porch Fest, which was Oh, let's talk about that real quick. All right, before I get into that. Uh, so, JP Porchfest, Fest, I did not secure the location. The the organizers secured me a location that I was going to share with two bands. Um, and they gave me my perfect time slot that I wanted, 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, and by the way, if you came out of the JP Porchfest and you watched the show, thank you so much. It was a great audience. Everyone, was, the show was fantastic. Uh, everyone pretty much did a, a good job for the most part. So, uh, and the bands were awesome and they were great. I get there early and nobody else there. We're using my PA uh, because I don't want to change them in between bands. I want a quick, quick downtime uh, so we can get right into things. So I just offer, we'll use my PA. The first band uses it. Fine, not a problem. Second band, they're like, oh, it's not loud enough. We're going to use our own. So they use their own. But here's the problem. Even before they even got there, our contact for the location was not the person for the place. He didn't answer his emails. He didn't answer the phone. Nobody was there. It was a building that's shared by like a masseuse and a law office and uh, I guess an apartment upstairs. It's... So I get there early. Nobody else is there. I'm texting and, and emailing the other bands. None of them are replying. Nobody's answering. And I'm like, "There's no power. How are we doing this?" So I'm trying to get a hold of everybody. And eventually, the bands show up, and we get all this. We ask the place next door, "Hey, can we use it?" I ask the bank across the street, "Hey, can we use this?" And we're all figuring it out. And then I call the, the masseuse uh, or the acupuncturist, uh, whatever she, uh, whatever it was. Uh, and she calls me back. and Goes, "Hey." did You said you needed something about JP Portraits? I'm like, yeah, we just need a power outlet. She goes, all right, uh, I thought somebody else would take care of this, but I live upstairs. I'll be right down. We go out, meet her, she lets me in. We plug everything in, and everything went fine. But it was just like an hour and a half and two hours of just annoying hassle that didn't need to be because somebody else didn't plan things. That's why I like to keep things in my own hands. That way I don't have to worry about other people screwing up. But um, everything worked out fine in the end, so... Here's the thing, though. Uh, I had a comedian from New York. He was in town. He hit me up with a message on the on Facebook. He's like, hey, I'm going to be in town from New York. Here's my tape. Any chance I could do a spot on your show? Uh, and I was like, you know, the tape's funny. It's good. Uh, here's the thing. It's a daytime outdoor afternoon show. Uh, I'm not asking any comedians to be clean, but understand that there may be, it, it's going to be a mixed audience. There may be children that there may be people who don't want to hear dirty, offensive stuff. Um do you have you know, all I'm saying is I'm warning you that I'm not going to ask you to be clean, but I'm only booking people who I know that have the material to be able to shuck and jive, you know, who's going to be able to handle that kind of environment. Um, if the audience is into it, if they're into the dirty stuff, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But if they're not divert, he goes, yeah, the floor gr- great. Anyway, he didn't do well. Uh, it just wasn't his audience. He's a funny guy, uh, but he did not do well in them. And I got to get him out early. Um Cause he was just dying up there and I'm not going to subject it, but he, anyway, uh, Diane Carroll, who's my guest on the podcast. She is a uh, photographer, filmmaker, comedian, um, from Chicago by way of New York. Uh, or she came from, yeah, she did some schooling in New York. You hear all about it, but she's originally from Chicago. Uh, and she's here for the summer doing a directing class at Harvard extension school, which she'll talk more about because she's a filmmaker. Uh, was taking pictures for Freddie, Saw that I had a website and said, "Hey, you have a you got a podcast? Uh, I'd love to be a guest on it sometime." And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, not a problem." And she really just strong armed her way into being a guest, which is fine. She was like, "No, no, we need to do we need to set a date. When when can I come on?" I was like, uh, "Tomorrow?" She's like, "Yeah, fine, great." And we leave. And she comes back. No, 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 no. Tomorrow's not gonna work. I forgot. I can't do tomorrow. Uh, can you what else? Uh, when else? I was like, uh, "Friday." She's like, "All right, great, perfect. Friday. What time? 8 p.m. Here's the address. I'll see you then. All right, great." She comes over, we did the podcast, it was a fun time, but, uh, so, here's the thing, though, uh, it's a little bit hard to follow, because she goes off on tangents, uh, she has attention deficit disorder, and other things that we'll, that we'll get into on the podcast, uh, and I, I it's a fascinating, um, listen, I think, because we're talking a lot of, uh, veterans, uh, rights, veteran, uh, how our veterans, military vets are being taken care of, uh, because she was in the military, uh, she did counterintelligence for the military, which is, uh, if you ask me, fascinating because I had no idea what any of that was. Like, my I thought counterintelligence was like spies, uh, and like Alan Turing and stuff like that, <laughs> and it's, it's not. Uh, but we talk of it, so she, she explains her whole role of that when she became a mother. She also talks, uh, heavily about uh, uh mental illness, uh, which I think is a lot of fascinating uh, stuff. So uh, she goes off on tangent. She's a little hard to follow sometimes, but I think I did a great job of editing it and roping her in during the conversation and uh, doing, uh, you know, wrap ups when she got too far off topic, just wrapping it back up to get to the subject. So if you can follow through on the podcast, it's an interesting listen. So uh, please enjoy this episode with counterintelligent agent and filmmaker Diane Carroll.
1: Chasing Amy. She made me look good. I thought I was a big whore in my 20s, and I may have watched, what do they call it, Chinese Stinger porn? Yeah. But I never did it.
0: <laughs> thought about it. Checked no, it out.
1: No, no, not even thought about it, but like enjoyed watching it for some reason. I watched it once, and this girl was like, am I a slut as I like it? <laughs> and I, was, I kept rewinding that part. <laughs> um... God damn. Um
0: Did you guys start filming
1: yet? Okay, wait. Is this how you want to start? Just yeah, like I don't do an intro. Oh,
0: yeah, I do an intro on in the post.
1: Oh, great. Okay, <laughs> so um, you know what? No, I picked up all the equipment today. I got two 10-foot um, tall box lights. I mean, they adjust, right? They can go up and down, so the lighting is going to be beautiful. I have a floodlight on set, which I'll tell you about in a minute. <laughs> Um, I, I picked up a, like a fucking, in, in, oops, is that cool? It's fine, yeah. All right. And in Dutch, It's a very
0: relaxed conversation. All
1: right. Yeah. I just don't know, like, so I have a friend, 92 The Zoo, down in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. and my first radio show, he's like, please just no cursing down, whatever <laughs> you do. So now I'm like, well, you know, I want to respect you, because uh, I really,
0: thank you for having me on. Yeah. Baby. Well, you did so, strong your way into it. Yeah. Strong arm your way into it.
1: <laughs> oh I strong armed right. Let's get back to that Please come full circle Let me just finish telling you about the equipment I'm using yeah. And then I got a nice little uh, ABC camera or what have you um, Bada bing bada boom And uh, yeah so this is We're shooting tomorrow in Dunstable, Massachusetts That's Northern Mass a little bit right? Is I, it? it I thought it was fucking New Hampshire for Christ's sake Until he sent me the goddamn uh, actual address so, yeah. I thought
0: Dunstable was by the Cape.
1: By the Cape?
0: Yeah. I really don't know much of Massachusetts. Though. I've only Cape, been here four years.
1: The Cape may the have an Unstable in it somewhere. Probably. Possibly. Cape.
0: Oh, man. Oh, Dunstable is north of here. I'm
1: Dunstable is north of here. Okay, so. It's by the just, state line. Okay, so that's where we're going. We got this guy, he, 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 well, he, he said, he insists on a, a producer credit, but hell, I don't mind giving him a producer credit because all my, uh, shots, scout locations were outside. It's shitty outside. It's okay if your yeah. knees
0: against mine. I thought it was the, the chair at first It's okay. <laughs> or the table at first. Our,
1: our knees were just touching out there in the audience and it wasn't awkward. It was, it was comfortable, but mm-hmm. now we're not touching knees and it's just as comfortable. Um, <laughs> So I'm giving him co-producer credit because he's giving us this. When he was a little boy, he told his mother, "Mom, when I grow up, and how do you, how would you do this in a Boston accent? What do Boston kids sound
0: like?" Uh, uh, Ma, like Ma. They they sound like old old Boston men. That's basically okay. So
1: I'm gonna give you a sentence. <laughs> and you, Ma. I'm gonna give you a sentence and you say it in a Boston accent.
0: Let's not. I'm not the best at no. ex- accents. Okay, so bi- I'm basically, not a native of here.
1: Basically, my co-producer on the project, or just a producer on the project, um, he told his mother when he grew up that he wanted to buy a uh, uh, barn, uh, uh, how do you say, a ranch house with a barn of his own, a big red barn, and I'll be goddamned if he didn't grow up, start working for Boston Labs and could afford one. (laughs) Um, so he's giving us, and it's like in a bachelor pad, but like a, a, you know, like your house. It's clean, uh, so it's not like you know it's disgusting. So every room's immaculate, and every room is like, uh, one is like set in you know the wild wild west, and then the next room you go into is like this tinker, tanker room, which I'd only seen once before, and that was when I was on a public affairs deployment. <laughs> Let me just carry this out real quick. (laughs) When I was on a public affairs deployment, my first time to Mobile, Alabama, and we entered the USS Alabama, go figure, it was a battleship. And we went to the heart of it, right? Climbing down all these pipes and tunnels, I felt like a goddamn Boy Scout and shit. And uh, we finally get to the center of this big, huge boat. And there's this tiny room with all these knickknacks and gadgets that fix the ship. It was so cool. It was just so fucking authentic. Do you ever see that in life anymore? Just, you know what I mean? And this exists in this guy's home. So I get to film there and it's just, it's mind blowing. I can't wait. This location is out of, out of control. And he said, he's going to have a craft service table for us.
0: Oh, nice. It's yeah. nice when somebody provides the craft services for you. No shit. <laughs> How did you stumble
1: across this guy? Um, I stumbled across him. Well, I am going to talk about craft services real quick. I was on a <laughs> show called Chicago justice uh, for one episode, no, no big deal, uh, but uh, they had craft services, which was mad decent, so like one day when I get big budget, and then I hear some people are dicks about craft services, like uh, for instance, Elton John, not Elton John, uh goddamn, who's the not dead guy? <laughs> Elton John's not dead? No, the not dead guy of the Beatles, who was like the lead singer. Oh, uh,
0: uh, Paul McCartney?
1: Yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Like he's all vegan and everybody gets vegan food, so like you get a whole bunch of roadies who just want a pulled pork fucking sandwich.
0: Yeah, they just want to stuff satisfying meat into their face. Yeah, and instead they're getting like tofu meat. <laughs> I well, he's also been a vegetarian a very long time. Like, well, good for him. Long before it was like. Uh,
1: but that's just you know what I mean. Like, um, I'm, I'm I I uh, I have my own sexuality, but I don't make everybody else be my sexuality because they're working for me. It's the same thing like if you are what you eat this is
0: <laughs> I love okay. Car. Craft services are fun. I've been mm-hmm. on a couple sets and it's it is just the the grazing of all day just the food just everything's always there and it's just you're just constantly putting food in your mouth because you just need something to do. You're standing around. You're talking you need to fidget. Yes it's the worst. Do you like... It's the best, but also the worst.
1: I don't know how you think, but I think a lot of money sometimes. And I'm like, God damn, craft services is, like, wicked expensive.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is, like, the the way when it comes to movies and TV budgets, when I see these things, if you think about how much money they spend on food, because it's, what, craft services, and then there's the Um. other company that does food. Like, they're two different services. Like, Um. lunch and dinner uh, are done by one, and craft services are, like, snacks throughout the day, even though it's, like... Oh, we made homemade taquitos. Well, like, and what stuff. do you think the
1: theory behind that is? Like, happy people, fed people, productive people.
0: Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, it, it, they're there all day. Might as well feed them. Yeah, uh, especially in the no budget sector. Like, I mean, I, I raised
1: think. an infant till he was three, and it was just like, yeah, you're here all day. I guess I should feed you. So <laughs> it was a cross services thing.
0: Yeah, just let them, let the, the the kid graze every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, but yeah craft I services him, yeah. are are so tempting and it's just so so difficult to deal with i
1: love it but then you uh, you obviously never see any of the uh, main characters out there eating unless they're like rockers i dabbled in the music industry so i saw that once happen and yuck change the subject um but before craft services we were talking about what The
0: guy, how did you come across this guy for the location?
1: Oh, the guy from the location. I uh, stand up comic in town who is in Boston, rather, who I should give a big shout out to right now. His name's uh, you better call Tyrone. Jones? Tyrone Jones. Oh. He's been my like in, in the Boston comic scene. uh,
0: Tyrone is one of the friendliest guys in town.
1: And he's he's just been nice to me. I'm like, where's the comedy at? And he answers. You know, we have plans to go see that new movie, The Big Sick, on Friday if we make it. Um, But I really, yeah. Uh, So I've really come to just, I really appreciate him because I don't know why I've been so shy in the Boston comedy scene. I think like really, really smart people intimidate me. Um, but anyways, going back to like, you know, I have a grin on my face, but Tyrone is just giving me the in on so many, like he, he introduced me to Jed's basement. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) The infamous Jed's basement. I love Jed's fucking basement. Especially now that they redesigned it. It's much bigger. It's more homier. Yeah. The concept in general was great. Uh, and now that they, they flipped the room around 180, degree, 180 degrees and they cleared out, like, the whole back half. yeah. So now it's actually... Those you assholes. Can, you can have room and sit yeah. down and, and the chairs aren't on top of each it's other. It's ergonomical. And you want
1: those assholes built a green room?
0: Yes, they did that How
1: too. How cute is that?
0: Yes. Which it's just as dirty as the upstairs kitchen, which was the previous unofficial green, green room. <laughs> I can't say I never met anybody
1: I didn't like. Um, actually one of the girls working with, well, the lead girl, um, my lead girl is Valley, uh, last name, Valley, I cannot pronounce her last name. Valley Russian last name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I met Valley at Jed's and I casted her right on the spot. Uh, You know, you can tell by somebody like just, but I can, I'm not clairvoyant, but by the look in their eyes, like this woman's smart. I would love to have her on board and I needed, needed to cast. I love working with comics. Yeah. Oh, but, anyways, so <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Um, Tyrone Jones, and I, I called Tyrone and I'm like, Well, what are you doing today? And he's like, I'm like, Let's go do see that movie because we've been trying to see this movie for a while. And he's like, Well, I'm going to this party. You weren't invited. And I'm like, You know, no, I wasn't invited. I didn't But he's like, You should come. And I'm like, Okay, great. Yeah, it's in my neighborhood. So I go, I meet these girls. Um, uh, One's name was Amanda, and then I met this other girl. Their name, her name was Amanda, um, but I'm really bad with names, so uh, it turns out they are a lesbian couple, a couple. Let's just say couple. Amanda's our couple, are a couple, and they're friends with some uh, Boston Improvers, and it was like a Boston Improv slash stand up uh, meetup. Uh, barbecue where we had a fucking ball. Um, I'm very much I. I love working all the time, and if people want to produce content, then when since I am a guerrilla filmmaker, when better than like now? Yeah, you know. So, uh, we shot like a musical montage that day at the party. We I had these blank scenes that I picked up from the Harvard directing class that I'm taking, and they're really fun. We can go over a few here in a minute if you'd like. It's very short, but uh, so we we just had so much fun. And the Amandas mm-hmm. the next day, I text message them. It's the Fourth of July, and I have nothing to do, and, and i um, you know, uh, in Harvard Square for some reason. Message them. They invited me out. So at this point, I still don't know both of their names. I know one of their names is Amanda, but I'm calling both of them Amanda. <laughs> they are now
0: the Amandas, yes. And
1: so I get in the car and I'm like, you know, you guys, I have to be quite frank and honest. Um, I'm actually calling both of you Amanda. And they're like, well, that's because our names are Amanda. I'm like, wait, you guys are a couple and your name is Amanda. You're Amanda's. <laughs> So, um, kind of from that, it's just such a small. It's just a it's it's small town. Go Go Boots. It's a small town, Boston. It's a small town comedy.
0: Yeah, so we're hanging out with the Amandas on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. you you. I have
1: ADD really bad. (laughs) Thank you for your good host. So, hanging out with the Amandas, um, they picked me up from Harvard Square, and we drove to what I thought was New Hampshire, which turns out to be Dunstable, Dunstable Mass. Mass. Right. And uh, we get to this fabulous farmhouse. It was the one John Mason, the co-producer, had told his mom that he was going to buy when he was a little kid. So that's where we met John. He was grilling. He had these two big ducks in the backyard. He has about like four acres of land uh, off of some road, you know, and a pool. And so I spent all day outside in the pool area and then i got the tour of the home and uh, the tour of the home is just amazing and he had mentioned you know um something to the effect of i am going to be letting the local theater guild know that they can have full access to my five-story brand new red barn that's attached to the house i mean it A fucking five-story smells- barn it smells like carpenter sweat it's so new <laughs>
0: Why do you need a barn that's five stories? I know. How, it, it's not an. You arc. need it
1: for my tea party. <laughs> it smells like it smells like sweat from like maybe the upholstery shop Jack White. No. <laughs> um, maybe used to work in Jack White, Jack White, Jack White. I say his name three times like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetles. He never. Hoping up. he'll show
0: up. Yeah. Have okay, you tried it but, in the mirror with the lights off, like Bloody Mary? Instead? No. God damn it! No. <laughs>
1: Um, but Jack White does look like a ghost fucked a vampire. So maybe if I did do the Bloody Mary route, he would spiritually appear. That's okay, Diane. That's okay, Diane.
0: <laughs> um so, so we're yeah, so we
1: met him on the fourth of July and he was like all <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Like all Massachusetts New Englanders, like, um you're just like Chicagoans. You're not gonna break for at least forty five minutes. And it's only until I say something smart finally. That, you know, like people will be super friendly. So John Mason was not entirely friendly, you know, at first. He said, this is a great location. Well, I said, thank you for the, you know, letting me be here. He's like, yes, you're, um, you know, try to stay on the guest list. We have quite a few parties. And at the end of it, he's like practically giving me the house, which is amazing. I'm quite the charmer sometimes. But no, what I was saying was John Mason was giving me the tour of the home. And he's like, yes, I'm going to lend this to the local theater guild here in Dunstable, Mass. Don't you think that's a great idea? Will they love it? And I'm like, yes, they'll love it. And I'm seizing, seething, rather, with jealousy and quite transparent. and mm-hmm. you know. And at this point, he knows that I'm directing this summer. And he said, well, Diane, if you ever, you know what I mean? Just waiting for the
0: the for him to extend the and offer. And
1: I, I told you, I'll tell you what. I used to be like, for some reason, in my younger days, I would close that door on the opportunity. Like, no, I don't need your help. I can do this all by myself. But like, I'm not closing the door on an opportunity like that. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, when you start getting into like, uh, when you create things when you're when you're young and you're inspired by stuff you have a tendency just to want to create you don't care if somebody's around you do it by yourself then when you become older and you've been doing so much stuff by yourself for so long you start just going I just want people now to be involved so it's easier on me. All right. You
1: the guys, more involved,
0: the, uh, the more people involved, the less work I have to do myself. I have to
1: tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm lending my hands out as if I'm motioning to you to put your hands on mine like we're oh. playing Miss Mary Mack. <laughs> Lend me your hands if we should be friends and we'll make a serpent's men's. This man understands me. God damn it. Yeah. No, it is. It's like it self-starting as an artist, like an artist, an artist, right? Anybody can say they're anything. I can say I'm a goddamn doctor, for Christ's sake. It's in my email, Dr. Diane. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm a fucking doctor. It's your and, Twitter handle. And Yeah. Uh, we'll talk all about that in a minute. Yeah, that is my Twitter handle. I don't tweet that much. I just did it for Jack White's attention. <laughs> but um, back to what we were saying is... Oh, okay, let me... This perfect example. I was in touch with America's Worst Chef with the Food Network, and they loved me, and they wanted to promote me and I had meetings and meetings and all the way up to the executive producers, but they had asked me at one point, you know, they're like, what do you do? Cause I am in retirement. So we'll circle back to your point. Right. Um, and, uh, they're. they're so I'm like, I am an artist now. I took that on full time. Cause I've, I've always been an improv According to Sandy Meisner 20 years after doing anything. You're an expert next year. I'm an expert improviser. The gorilla go. At that, but God damn it. You know, so th- that in the arts, and then I just decided to dedicate my arts, which we'll get into later. And the uh, the the what the analogy was, um, what were we talking about?
0: We were talking about bringing people in so you don't have to do all the work yourself. Anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah. They said to me, they're like, Diane, the, you know, a typical smirky question, but you know, I'm from the East Coast too, for all intents and purposes, so I can give you a smirky answer. But or even the midwest. We're really good at being smart asses.
0: Yeah, Chicago I don't think
1: Chicago counts as the east coast. No, it doesn't, but we're good smart asses nonetheless. Um it's what we have in common with the east coast. Yes. Uh, so anyway, so, yeah. anyways, so oh, let me finish this train thought. One <laughs> second. Sorry, 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 sorry. So um I said I'm an artist artist. You know? and they they said me explain I did a little bit then I said cuz I grew up in a period of time when you nobody's going to hand me anything I want a Netflix series I want a Netflix series I can say that till I'm blue in the face you know uh, that's never going to happen unless you start creating content yourself so i became a producer i became director i became writer and i got i actors and actresses accomplish acts to work with me on the sole purpose of the fact that I've got this incredible drive. And that's what you need in this business. You know what I mean? Some say it's luck. Some say it's sucking dick. Some say it's this and that. If you have like, you know what I mean? You can create anything. Um, So that's what I was saying. Nobody's going to hand you anything in this business. You got to self-start. But God damn, I need need an editor, (laughs) a sound editor, uh, director of photography would be nice. You know, all those things. That's why we got to collaborate, man.
0: Yeah, it's nice to have those people doing things so you can wear less hats and your brain can just relax and think about and focus on the one thing that you need to focus on. What's that? What What is that for you? I was doing, uh, when I started in college, the same thing for me was I was doing an uh, internet radio show. And I was booking the artists, going to shows, interviewing them, yeah, producing, yeah. doing live segments, meeting people, and then managing a band, two bands at the same time. That fucking
1: rules. Yeah,
0: so it's like I'm doing all these things, and now that at 36 years old, and you're about the same age as me, all I want to do—fuck yourself. Yeah, I'm 32. Two. Yeah, you're almost my age. Yeah.
1: Do I look old
0: today? No, you look 32. That's fine. Go ahead. That's not Stop th- flinching. I'm not going to hurt you. He starts flinching
1: after he said that, by the way. His old body's are convulsing. Go, Go, on. On. Go so on. So, yeah,
0: man. no. Uh, so, it's now at, at 36. I just want to do like what? I just want to host a show. Or mm. I just want to produce the show mm. and have somebody else have to worry about doing show prep uh, mm. or interview or uh, researching guests or booking people to come intern. on. It, with, you yeah. might want to. I want an intern. Or I want a producer. I want somebody else to edit my podcast for me. Yeah. Uh, just instead of having to do everything myself. Yeah. So. Same thing with movies. Like, you just want to write and direct or whatever it is that I, you, you want to do. you right, you're right. And you yeah, want yeah, somebody yeah. else to worry about taking yeah. the shots and hanging the lights and all that other shit. Uh,
1: I love being producer, but I want somebody else to pay for everything.
0: Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's the, don't we all want somebody, to pay, uh, somebody else to pay for everything? Um, Especially craft services.
1: When are we eating? Especially craft services. <laughs> John Mason, the co-producer, the guy in Dunstable giving us the five fucking story barn and everything else. Is uh, providing craft services full circle. Hey, can we talk about my career and stuff?
0: Yeah. Because I'm curious because you said you're retired. Yeah. From military?
1: Um, military and the federal government. What did you do for the federal government? I was a Veterans Benefit Administration Claims Examiner.
0: Okay. So through. So did you serve in the Army or did you just I work with it? I served in the Army for okay. six
1: years. I had a break in service. But, um, two of these years, uh, oh, okay. Um, th- yeah. Do you mind if I just go? Yeah, go. Okay, go. Okay, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. I want No. Okay. So I've kind of, I, talking about wearing many hats, I, um, my father had a good work ethic. My mom, you know, bless her heart with as low as her IQ is,
0: <laughs> uh,
1: had a great work ethic. You know what I mean? Like my little brother. I remember this is a horrible story to remember him by, but he would be snot yellow green nostril coming out of his nose because he just discovered alcohol the night before, and would go to work. You know what I mean, and just hang in there. So, you know, we uh, my dad bought a had a seven thousand square foot home in the middle of the Great Depression, and I not the Great Depression, but the Great Recession. (laughs) I had to man that. (laughs) You know what I mean. So, like, now that I have a little bit of money, I'm like, uh, I'm never doing my own manual labor in my house or housework or anything like that. You know what I mean? I
0: sit in an office and I never want to, the two things that I always hated when I would do construction work is dig holes and paint walls. And I refuse at this day and and age when I sit. I hate painting walls. When I sit at a desk now that my day job is sitting at a desk, I was like, the only thing I refuse to do is dig holes and paint I'll help you do everything else I'll come over and I'll help you build your entire house but you gotta dig the holes and you gotta paint the walls I'll do everything else you
1: literally painting walls is the worst it's what do you even throw uh, Spotify on and like then you're still like does that help you forget the fact that you're painting
0: a fucking wall yeah that you're doing a monotonous very specific and I'm also obsessive compulsive so I can't Dude, if I, it can't be perfect, it's going to drive me crazy. Now, at my age, I've now learned that there's certain things out of my control, but still painting, like just flicking a little bit of paint everywhere or on myself. And it just, it's so monotonous and boring and ah. Uh,
1: I hated yes. it. I read a short story. I read short stories um, and it was about yellow wallpaper And then I just always thought about, and I had this asshole brother-in-law right when I got out of the military. Um, And uh, God, I had to go live with my, never again will I live with family. (laughs) You know, older, getting older actually kicks a lot of ass. Yeah. And he was pretty fucking arrogant, but he's also did some pretty miraculous things in my life for a human being. So we don't hate him entirely, but he did insist that I pull my weight around the house which I just told you, I'm a naturally lazy person. I mm-hmm. will have a house cleaner instead of you know, cleaning toilets. <laughs> so he said, Diane, we have a, you know, it was like a 3,000 square foot home. They wanted to paint every fucking wall. All right, and I didn't have an iPod, and no, there was no air is, conditioning this in was the, the house. The late 90s, yeah. And he was like an old drill sergeant, treating me like I was, you know. So that was the last time I painted. I'm like, you know what? f you i'm not i
0: this is you know i hate painting walls so when you were when did you go into the army oh okay
1: yeah um i took a one of those um but a bing but a boom left high school early because of the add which is clear you guys have heard it all throughout this (laughs) podcast and then um, I took like one of those years off and moved up north to New Jersey to visit. So you my graduated
0: th- early or did you drop out?
1: Um, I dropped out. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess. At 16? Uh, can I be honest? So
0: 15, 12, 15. 9. 15? 15. Sophomore year. Jeez. But that's I'm gonna early. I'm going
1: to impress you. I'm gonna impress that's you. fine. Yeah. I'm not I'm judging. Well, I just think that like, the way my brain is wired, like every moment I'm learning right now, you know, staring at your fucking wallpaper and listening to you. And it's just a continual process. It partly makes me a great writer. It's the power of observation. It's the power. So, you know what I mean? I didn't fit in fucking high school. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't. And I left.
0: High school is less about learning uh, book smarts. Well, there's, that's important too, but it's more about learning social skills. And if you're already someone who has social skills or don't care about social skills, high school could be the worst place to be. It's it's where you learn to become a person. But if you're already kind of a person who's able to interact with others, then what the fuck are you doing there anyway? I was the most popular girl in school. Do you know that? No, I wouldn't have, but okay, my brother, I can see it.
1: My brother was in the bathroom once. And like some guy walked up to him and he's like, she's your sister, Diane. <laughs> I wasn't popular for like the cool reasons. You know what I mean? I just fucking love everybody. Yeah. I love people.
0: You're infamous.
1: And I just love talking and just. So I, that was how my high school was spent. So you I leave understand. high school, you yeah, take a year yeah, off. yeah. So I, I brought diet coke so I could wake up. Where's my coke? Where, man, oh, I'm... it's in the bag there. Oh, uh, there's have uh, my coffee.
0: Yeah, there's coffee. Yeah. There, so
1: no, no, no. Okay. So I left high school. I moved up to New Jersey. My godmother's an American Airlines flight attendant. She exposed me to fine art for the first time, and I went fucking nuts. I never thought I'd be a comedian one day, but like she brought me to New York. Long story short, um, and then I had to make a decision. I, they're like Diane because we just all watched. The movie Hair together oh, as a family.
0: Wow. Yeah, there's a mo- there's a crazy movie to show a fifteen year old. Well,
1: I was like, well, how did my godmother? My godmother and she's she's African American. She's married to a Jewish man who is in a band called the Doavels. They were a one hit wonder in the sixties, the the Bristol Stomp and all these other things. But anyways, they would teach me these life lessons um, through like multimedia channels. Like, um, for instance, when uh, I expressed interest in journalism, they insisted I watch it Almost Famous, which, you know, that movie changes your life, and James Cameron is somebody to look up to, and yada, yada, yada. Later on, I ended up living an Almost Famous lifestyle. Man, I hope Michael Panico's listening. <laughs> Who's um, Michael Panico? I'll tell you all about my Somerville Michael Panico here in a minute. He would kill me if you he heard this. Or maybe you he wouldn't. He's so cute. I miss you. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways uh, long story short so I'm like well, I'm thinking about joining the military my sister did it I'm taking a private Benjamin route no way I'm getting deployed this isn't that um, I'll get in get out you know
0: what's a private Benjamin route um, private
1: that. Benjamin was when Goldie Hawn played it's kind of a stupid trailer maybe that they recruited Goldie Hawn to the military and um They promised her, uh, like, Santa Barbara, California, or, you know, Maui, you know, which is, you know, fucking...
0: Lush and comfortable and not threatening at all. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So, I kind of was, you know, I'm growing up and I'm becoming less naive and, like, I'm I'm pretty smart, but, like, hell, I didn't think anything bad was going to happen to me, you know?
0: Yeah. So, you joined... So, So I joined the military. So, you dropped out of school at 15... (laughs) <laughs> Spent a year with your godmother learning mm-hmm. about art and journalism and all that stuff. In Chicago. Got my GED like e. oh, really fast. That's good.
1: Yeah. Oh, I totally got yeah. my GED immediately.
0: Good. My and general- then you, yeah. so you. And so then the I joined.
1: I tested. Well, I told you I wasn't stupid. Yeah. And I got into counterintelligence.
0: Okay. Mm. That's a thing they still do. I'm sorry. That's a thing that the military still does.
1: Um, it's it's at a very low echelon. Any kind of like good news, or good news rather, any kind of work that uh, counterintelligence at the echelon I was working at, if it were actually of substance, we would have to push it up the channels. And then um, the CIA or the FBI, depending on what jurisdiction we were in, would take over the case. Here's the funny thing this is- we'd write it. I had a top secret, sensitive, compartmented information clearance that I would use only in training. I never hurt anybody and I never went overseas. But that's what they gave me. But uh, a friend, an interrogator friend of mine at Obgrave, real quick story, mm-hmm. he would write a report at a sensitive level and then push it up the chain of command. It would become top secret and he would never be able to find out like what you know happened to the report. Then he would see it in the news later. It was just kind of funny how things get out of your hand and out of control like that. Yeah, see, it's a
0: dark topic. It's a yeah, weird yeah. thing to talk about. Uh, you know, no, my best friend's uh, brother oh, is one of yeah. the guys in that uh, documentary about Abu Ghraib, where he's the dude like sp- like punching a dude, in- a naked uh, no prisoner in the nuts. He's like, rah, 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 oh at my him. god! I was like, oh, that's your brother. That's why, why do camera- you keep hanging out with that it's, asshole? It's like,
1: you, you know. Uh, let me say one <laughs> other thing. Um, my um, son's father was also at Abu Ghraib. In 2003. Ryan? Huh? Ryan? Yeah, Ryan Trummel. Um, And, uh, well, my son's father, Ryan Trummel, was in Abu Ghraib in 2003. And we had this garden gnome. And um, it sat on the windowsill of Ryan's barracks room. And, well, at the time, the gnome's name was Louie. But by the time he got back from Baghdad, it was Lucky Louie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because Lucky Louie had shrapnel from mortars blow off his head. Jeez. Which was right next to Ryan Trummel's head. So, so it's, like, Jesus. my heart's beating out of my chest right now. It's just, it was a fucking a horrible mess. I hate war. It's barbaric. It's fucking nuts. And yeah, it is all to fund money to a couple people, which should have Americans' best interests at heart, unless they're just so. How can money be that.
0: <laughs> I. Okay, let's me get thing, in that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I don't really want to go. We could be here for hours on that. Here, on a lighter note, I don't, we're not
1: going to go there. On yeah. a lighter note, I did have a whole bunch of linguist friends and a friend of mine, Tracy Crane. She's actually a New Hampshire girl now. Um, she was in the military with Brian and I at the 202nd Military Intelligence Battalion in Fort Gordon, which is in Augusta, Georgia, where they have the masters every year. Um, and uh, she was in a long interrogation With uh, somebody at Abu Ghraib. It was a bad, bad, bad terrorist, okay? And she said to him at the end, because people were watching through a two-way mirror. Yeah. Right? And she cued them to listen. You know what she said to that terrorist? What? I have good news and bad news for you. Which one would you like first?
0: And the guy says, good news? Bad news? What did he say first? She goes, well, you know what?
1: You don't have a choice. I'm going to give you the bad news. What you did was very terrible. And it uh, not only cost you ever seeing your family again, it cost American lives, and you're bad, and you're going to jail for a long time, if not dying. The good news is I saved uh, 30% or more of my car insurance by switching <laughs> to Geico. And everybody lost their shit. And, you know, it's a controversial joke. You laugh at it, but we can laugh at it. She said that everybody lost their shit because they, you, Tracy was dead serious. She's like, I mean, this guy was, you know, and that's the worst thing you can say to a terrorist mm-hmm. is that, you know, if you ever want to, if you guys ever, listen, if you're ever interrogating a terrorist, <laughs> tell them they're never going to see their family again. It's yeah. what's they the hold? They hold the most important. Yeah. John Oliver did a
0: great um, uh, segment about uh, how torture doesn't work. The thing that works the most is just trying yeah. to relate to them, telling them, "Hey, what can I do to help you? You help me, I help you." We're lying to you, of course. We're not going to help you, terrorists. Yeah, we're going to fucking
1: fuck your fucking world up. Mm-hmm. But you know, so we're you're doing counterintelligence. So I was doing counterintelligence and see how it kind of like. Takes me to a dark place. I'm not a dark person. I don't know where else it's coming from. I got out of counterintelligence. I thought it was a bit intense. And Ryan and I ended. So what up are
0: you mostly doing during counter during counterintelligence? What is what, like, what I'm doing right now? For me, right me now, it's it's what we're doing. Talking, just talking, and writing like long, extensive reports about like is it wiretapping? Is it uh, interviews? Because I don't know. My yeah, only know. my only understanding of counterintelligence is World War Two, Wind talkers. Like uh, code breaking and all that kind of stuff. All right, like let me break it down. Alan Turing and that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. Um, some people thought it ironic because Ryan, we've established my son's father, he was an interrogator and I was counterintelligence. So, what is happening is in the intel world, I mean, in the rules, uh, in the battlefield, right? especially in the Middle East. The best intelligence officers in the entire world are the Israelis. Think about how they won the Six-Day War. Think about how they survive on a daily basis surrounded by enemies. It's called intel. And nobody has better intel than those guys out there. I had a friend from Pakistan who went to go visit. He was home for two days and the mailman knew he was there. (laughs) These guys gossip. That's intel. All right? So... What we're trying to do as a counterintelligence agent is go into the community and liaison with the mayor, liaison with um, you know every official you can think of. We also have an office that people can walk into where we make them feel very comfortable and then ask them questions. And sometimes they say, "Well, I've got to you know I've got to report something." Because I played role playing, so they would you know here's the situation. You become a uh, terrorist, not a terrorist, but like, you know, somebody living in that community comes into my office and I'm very worried about my family and there's a weapons cache. I know where it is and you just need to get it the hell out of our neighborhood because we're sick of these fucking terrorists too. Yeah. You know, but they don't say it in those words. So I asked them, where's the weapons cache? Give me the great coordinates. Inside the weapons cache, if you've seen the weapons cache, who knows about the weapons cache? You pretty much ask the who, what, where, when, and why. And then each who, what, where, when, and why has subcategories. And you write it all down in a big fucking report. So counterintelligence is trying to keep them from getting intelligence on us. Okay. Interrogation is trying to extract intelligence. I, I don't know how to explain this. Extract
0: information from them.
1: Yeah, but I'm also, as a counterintelligence, trying to extract information from them. But, but all, all in all, in all is we're trying to save Americans' lives and not let, uh, in public affairs, we have minimum disclosure, maximum delay. You know, so don't fucking talk about it and for as long as you possibly can. And then... Conversely, there's you know uh, minimum disclosure, maximum delay. It's all how you release information. and in terms of saving Americans' lives, they don't really need any intel on us. Wind talkers, what you know of was mm-hmm. fucking genius. God damn it, genius. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's are you d- doing it as a military personnel? Or do they think that you're somebody else? Do they know? Uh, no. Like, it's not undercover work, No, clearly. it's
1: not undercover work. Actually, they advised against that. I thought it was a smart ass. I've always been, oh, surprised. <laughs> but we were in Intel school, and I raised my hand. And um, I, they're, like, role-playing, so I definitely raised my hand. And then they're like, okay, so we're going to interrogate you, Diane. Um, and, uh, they're like, okay, yes. What is your name? Uh, my name is Molly Ringwald. Oh, okay, Molly, where'd you go to school? Or what do you do for a living? And then I was like, well, I'm a doctor. Um, and I graduated, you know, from Harvard and then went into chemical engineering at MIT. And I got my ass handed to me. They're like, don't you ever fucking lie like that like lie to say yeah sure everything's going to be fine if you give me the information we'll get you back home to your family no they're probably never going to see their families no. again because they're fucking terrorists
0: <laughs> you know what i mean but, but don't like, ever lie to the people yeah about don't like
1: because they get fact checks you you know what i mean oh yeah you went to mit what year really who's your admissions counselor did you know so-and-so oh no he died years ago you know what i mean like shit like that so i guess like Everybody lies, but lying across the board is probably pretty shitty. Oh, but wicked
0: webs we weave when first we try to deceive.
1: So, anyways, I fucking yeah, got you don't out want to, of it. You, like
0: you don't want to betray their trust, the person who's giving you information.
1: No, you, d- but no, because it's not really on a trust as needed basis. There's like, well, there, okay, so, well, this goes two ways. If you're coming into my office and you're divulging information to me, there's not really much trust that. You know what I mean? You're trusting me. And I'm trusting you and my security guards outside that you, you don't have a bomb on you. And yeah. you know what I mean? So like, it's not a fucking matter of trust. It's a matter of me getting all this information from you. It's informants. that it happens every day, even here in America. Informants, I, I would collect that. The other part of my job was, um, which I always thought was cool, uh, was the, like, and, and of course it was not available to women, which is another contention we'll talk about later on as my career progresses. But um, I was always, if I were told, if I were going to South Korea, that they would use me in intelligence meetings, but I would just be dressed up because I was a blonde bombshell when I was a kid. And that um, since I am, like, hyper-observant stuff, and, like, I would be a fly on the wall taking notes and smiling and being the mouthpiece and talking and saying, so that's a woman's role. Yeah, you're, you're, like, you're the eyes. or you Or you're, you're like, there for their eyes. I mean, yeah. I don't mind doing that. You know what I mean? Especially if it's saving Americans' lives. Fuck yeah, I'll be a snitch in a North <laughs> Korean meeting. Yeah, you know what I mean? As long as I can get the fuck out of North Korea as soon as possible. Um, I would never go to North Korea.
0: Okay, this is all figure. What am I saying? <laughs> so, counterintelligence. You were in that. You were, t- you were describing the job. Now. Oh,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things was
0: is that we had a budget. This is not classified.
1: And none of this information I'm telling you is classified because it's all you could look it up anywhere and that WikiLeaks leaks and stuff. But we would have a budget to liaison with um, liaisoning with like, you know, the chief of um, the police to station, because we always want to be in touch with them so we can coordinate Intel. To locate weapons, caches, and people of suspicious behavior, and so on and so forth, but in fucking back, dead. There's bombs going off everywhere. Like who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. Anyways, but we would be able to buy them gifts. So like Primary, American almost. cigarettes. Yeah, but like now that I'm in show business, kind of like we do the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, you just
0: bribed me with cookies, it, which was the I right did thing. Bri- yeah. I brought cookies and Diet Coke. <laughs> I mean, cookies gifts was the are right nice. Thing.
1: Gifts are nice. Yeah,
0: cookies are. Mu- well, when I was in college, I used to have to help all the lower. Uh, I wouldn't and have to. A lot of the students who were behind me would come to me to help their radio projects and their TV projects, and they were always like, "How can I repay you?" I'm like, "Eh, you know, just I'm not. I'm not. This is not what I do." And back then, they're like, "Oh, here." They would come back in the next day. He's like, "Oh, here. I know you smoke. Here's a pack pack of cigarettes." I'm like, "Oh yeah, cigarettes work." Then now that I'm I, that I've Stop smoking. We need to talk about cookies. that. We need to talk about that later. I don't want to talk about it right now because it'll just irritate me and make me want to go smoke cigarettes. So just drop it.
1: Yeah, I brought him cookies. The Chewy chewy, chewy Chips, chips Ahoy.
0: Yes. And I'm trying, I'm holding off not eating them in front of the microphone. I was at like a halal <laughs> beef rush. I know, I'm like, I'm bringing food. It was a halal uh,
1: little place, so I'm like... I don't know, we can get some really weird ethnic food, bring it over, which would make me weirder. <laughs> I don't know how to cook this, not that ethnicity is weird. Is it still considered racist if it's ethnocentric and I meant it as a compliment? <laughs> the intent um, is not racist, yeah. no. Okay, so um, basically like... So you're bribing you, Yeah, bribing officials. public officials with, you know, booze and probably prostitutes what we weren't allowed to do was take money and gifts from them of course because like they have boat tons of it it is like feast or fucking famine in those countries um because of the oil there's like if you're a kuwaiti citizen for example you get distributed like fucking 10 billion dollars a year just to be a citizen similarly like you're gonna find that um in alaska like it's kind of like a cola like a cost of living allowance or no no better example like Seminole indians Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um so kuwaitis and uh, syrians and a lot of these middle eastern countries are so fucking oil rich that um they distribute the wealth between the natural born citizens oh yeah so like there, you'll see a big um vast uh extreme like for instance you know you see these roads and they're, they're the oldest civilization in the world yet there's no real grid system and it still seems like you're in the middle of fucking nowhere but you'll see a goddamn Maserati come down the road <laughs> and then the Maserati loses a tire they're so fucking rich they get out of the car and they like hail a camel <laughs> Go back to wherever and buy a new car. I guess I know that polygamy is also legal in the Middle Eastern culture, and don't quote me on any of this. But you have to—if you say you have seven wives, each wife has to be treated the exact same way. They don't have to live together like they do in Iowa or you know where else. Where's a Brigham Young? Brigham Young.
0: That's in that's in uh, Colorado. Somewhere. No, uh, Utah.
1: Sorry. No polygamy, like they do yeah. in L.A. <laughs> well, anyways, so each wife has to have like you know, if one drives a Maserati, the other one gets like a Maserati or something equal to. So it's just like expensive, but you can have like as many wives as you want, I guess. The Middle Eastern culture is really fascinated me, but um, and a lot of people would like not a lot of people because I don't really get into it, but I don't really dive too much into politics nowadays because. I don't see a lot changing from what is you know when i did watch it and it just drives me nuts and i refuse you know the cursed science journal which is supposed to be one of the most unbiased publications still pisses me off you know i'm sick of right and left fucking opinions i just want like all those old people in congress to not necessarily die but move on with their lives (laughs) give give away You know what I mean? And let these just new... Because I'm I'm a conservative Republican, but I have the most progressive, you know, liberal views and agendas.
0: Compared to most of them, it's not hard to be considered liberal against them. But were you stationed in the Middle East? Um, No, never. Um, I had
1: one opportunity in the beginning um, to go to a green zone called um, Qatar. It's in the United Arab Emirates. Yes. But like, I don't know, I was 20 years old and um, it was the first time I'd ever had a real boyfriend. So, Ryan, my son's father, mm-hmm. um, and Ryan was just, we were traveling every weekend together and having so much fun and I'm like, um, fuck Qatar. Cause it was, it was like, they were like, well, do you wanna go? And I'm like, you know, well, you know, kind of. And the more research I did on him, I'm like, so it's totally a green zone and yada, yada, yada. Oh yeah. So, but I stayed with Ryan and we, you know, the rest is history. In Qatar? And, no, I did not go to Qatar, but I did go with my boyfriend, Ryan, and we ended up having a baby together. The girl who did go to Austin, Qatar. Yeah. Austin, yes. Um, the girl who did go to Qatar kind of comes full circle. We were allowed to give them gifts. We weren't allowed to accept gifts from them, but the girl who took my place and went to Qatar took so many gifts from the locals. She came back with like
0: diamond bracelets <laughs> and you know the whole nine yards. She was like the Arab little. So CI was going to send you to Qatar. Yeah. Um, but you didn't go. No. Where were you doing all your CI work? Here um, in the States?
1: Yeah. And here in the States, well, that's a really good question. None of this, I'd love to tell you about this. This is another reason why it fucking irritated me and I had to get the hell out. Um, have you guys ever heard of the good old Patriot Act? You yeah, remember that one? Of course. What is it in terms of your memory? What do you remember about it? Uh,
0: it gave, it was an executive order from the president that basically gave CIA and NSA too much rights to checking in on your privacy and, and wiretapping. It gave that it, it gave them less opportunity or it was, there was less red tape in setting up wiretaps and spying on people and all that shit. So I, don't, I can't say exactly, but obviously. No. I know what. I mean, the, 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 the like, more, I know the immoralness behind it.
1: No, I, um, I'm so glad you answered that question and you know what you're talking about. Cause I thought I, I I'm not calling you an idiot, but sometimes it's important that people know what the Patriot Act is because it's, oh, well, I'm very ignorant
0: use. of most of, the, of what goes on in politics. Yeah, I know, but these but are,
1: these are the things I, I mean, did
0: just watch Enemy of the State recently, so I'm kind of, enemy, going up. I just wrote a paper about <laughs> Enemy of the State.
1: Um, No, but it's important to remember like these policies that are set in place like prior administrations You know what? I mean a lot of people gave uh, Barack Obama a lot of hell for you know The infringement on our privacies that was set in place by George W. Bush Like five six years before him, you know, and uh, we worked in a town where this um, this was being tested on the locals you know Just what I mean? The like, pay, what, the, yeah, like we, when we were not deployed, we were studying and training intelligence,
0: gathering techniques. On American soil? On American soil. So you guys were stationed in a city to test methods of extracting information from locals?
1: Yeah, but we would do the field training exercise environments and the locals would be paid. Actors. Um, and then there was, like, one stupid fucking assignment. I'm not going to get shot for this because, hell, I'm crazy. I could be lying. <laughs> but um, they gave us, and I'll teach you this game, everybody. It's called the elicitation game. It's a good wh- bar game to pick up. But um, elicitating means gathering information surreptitiously, meaning without somebody exactly knowing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's called the elicitation game, and I remember that uh, one of our projects were to go to the mall and, you know, um, find out things, you know, uh, challenge each other. Like go into the jewelry shop and find out when the jewelry shop, you know, had her first date or what the name of her dog was. But here's the point of the elicitation game.
0: You Instead of going and saying, hey, what's the name of your dog? You want to go and there's like, uh, oh, I'm looking uh, for a new charm bracelet um, and it's for my boyfriend or it's whatever it's for. And hey, do you happen to have one on a dog? Because I love dogs. And then hope that she would d- divulge that information.
1: How do you know that? I'm a smart guy. You're smart. You're very <laughs>
0: smart, which also goes back to like, we're all. I also all know ever- what the word uh, serpentitious and, and elicit- elicitation okay, means. So, so I gave you good context.
1: Um, but, no, it's important for everybody to know out there that we're all natural-born intelligence gatherers. We do it, you know, anyways. But back to what you were saying. Ding, ding, ding. You're exactly <laughs> fucking right. But the other part of the elicitation game is you're going to have to think of it as an hourglass, right? Like you did. Like you just described. You open up the conversation broad. What's in the middle of the hourglass is the piece of information you need. What's at the bottom of the hourglass is all the conversation you then develop to confuse her for remembering the middle of the hourglass question. Point is, you leave, I come in, talk to her, and say, "You know, that guy's kind of on our watch list, and uh, we just need to know what he was talking about." And if she goes, "I don't know," he was just talking about how he loves watches, or if she says he wanted to know about my dog, then you lose again. The okay. But if she ah. forgets, so like the hourglasses open up broad. Go in tiny, find out what you get to need to know, and then open Me. up broad again and leave them confused. It's The Art of Confusion. Did you ever read The Art of War?
0: No, I've never read The Art of you War. You've got to read I've it, read like, one book all the way through my entire life. fuck you, anybody who says I'm a douche for reading The Art of War. <laughs> my, my roommate who was in the Army, my old roommate back in Baltimore, uh, where I'm from, he was in the Army, uh, and he would he's very liberal. Um uh, But he would watch Fox News all the time. And I'm like, why are you watching this? You don't agree with any? It drives you crazy. He goes, I just want to keep up on what the enemy is doing. Like, you have to know what they're doing every once in a while. If
1: you want to know what the enemy is doing, like, study the past. No. That's why, I don't know. That's why I don't know what the enemy is doing right now. Um, I just know that I have faith in, like, the Israeli soldiers and their intelligence um we need more support we need we need a lot of stuff and and it's you know this gives me so much fucking anxiety with like i was to you know that kid in the sixth grade so concerned about global affairs like as soon as i figured out you know what the hell was going on because i'm getting a like an ulcer right now thinking about it. i had to let it go so i left i left intel um and ryan and i had a child and we traveled like all around the country this magical summer and you know, we really did have a beautiful relationship but then a couple years later we divorced, so to speak. And um, I went back into the military because it was all I knew and it was the middle of the recession. So it was 2008 and you know, I couldn't get a job at a Starbucks. So I went back in which was the smartest thing I'd ever done and this time a little bit more on a lighter note, I did,
0: broadcast journalism and public affairs okay no see that's <laughs> the reason you asked me why do I know what uh, the uh, elicitation game is and all that stuff uh, the reason I know that is because it's my and my, uh, what I learned is the techniques of good interviewing like I hate when I watch something like the view uh, it's usually the one that drives me the crazies like I'll be on the gym I'll be at the gym. I'll be on the treadmill or bike or whatever. And I'll be looking up in the views in front of me and, or one of the morning talk shows, whatever. And it's the worst interview question where somebody goes, now I hear that, you know, uh, karate. Why don't you tell us about that? That's not a question. That's a request. And that's what drives me crazy in interviews is when somebody requests somebody to start talking about something instead of naturally bringing up into conversation. And understandably a lot of these things are quick and you know, right, that just get to the sound voice. So for me as so a journalist, heard, like if I wanted sorry. to talk about like you said you have a kid, uh, if yeah. I wanted to talk about if I wanted you to open up about your kid, I would start talking about kids. So Ooh, you can relate to a
1: manipulator. Right? Yeah, that's why, how that. I well
0: that's how I would want you to talk about kids if we were talking about that. Right. This guy's uh um, this guy's not
1: like um you you aren't an amateur, are
0: you? No. What the, why do why does so many people get surprised that I'm because good you, at my job? <laughs> I don't know. I've I'm I'm worked radio for 18 years, tw- 13 years, uh 22, what am I, 36? 14 this fall will be 14 years with the same company. I've been doing radio since I was 18 years old, you're probably so longer than that. Yeah. Like, I know how to do interviews. Uh, the guy who wrote, and I always forget his name, um, and it's the quote's on my website, Uh <laughs> Jay something or other, uh, who wrote one of the Walking Dead novels. Oh, right. Okay. But yeah, a novel. Uh And I was at a comic convention, and we are doing an interview with him, and I'm by myself, and I have the camera and the mic, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I get on, and I set the camera up, and I turn... Uh, uh, and I walk up there and he goes, you don't need a camera? I was like, no. He goes, well, do you need to set it up? And I just flip the thing up. I was like, that's perfectly framed. You didn't even look at it. I'm like, yeah, I know. So we're doing the interview. I'm asking him a question. Then I ask him a question. He just stops and goes, well, that's a really good question. You really know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, dude. Why do you think I'm interviewing you? And some people, it always amazes me when people get um, surprised that I know what I'm doing. I guess I'm just surprised because like, well, in this day and age of podcasting, well, the, it's, I don't know you yeah. from Adam, and I just yeah. met
1: you at Porch Fest, so like, but I'm I'm thoroughly impressed
0: <laughs> that I have a, a, a professional look, a professional sounding and looking studio.
1: It, no, it's the professional sounding <laughs> looking studio. Um, it's the the active listening, the be the keeping me on track, and you knowing what the fuck you're talking about, and I'm throwing some pretty wild like i'm not even wild it might not be even be complex complex things but um,
0: you hear that, you hear that uh program director from a radio station that might be listening to this as an air check hire me i'm good at what i'm doing
1: no like he could <laughs> you could interview like wow uh you know we can we can talk uh i was like i've done everything from flight attendant to fish wipe to fishmonger to you know working in alaska <laughs> to uh, working at a non finding people jobs, specifically to working for the Veterans Benefit Administration, which um, I'm actually opening up my own business because um, I have a grant. And they're sending me to the New England School of Photography um, to get certified. And I'm opening up a small... Um, follow me. Mm-hmm. This is not a big secret. Um, but I'm opening up a small... Um, Restaurant called Little Shop of Hors d'oeuvres. No, I just kidding. <laughs> oh, I just kidding. I just kidding. No, but I am opening up a photography studio, and I'm um I will with the intent of uh, uh, evolving it into a multimedia branch, and um because as soon as I open up the photography studio and I'm in the business for two years, I can contract to the government. Because they have a $12 billion pie specifically designated to service disabled uh, military veterans, and I am medically retired. So, um, after doing the math and looking at their fiscal budgets for the past three or four years, ever since I've been mulling this over my head, about four, four, Point five billion dollars and never gets used but fiscally it shows up again the next year <laughs> all this business is dedicated to uh, new small businesses
0: for disabled veterans yeah. so it's a, a it's money is so the money you're setting up a photography studio to help I'm setting up a photography
1: studio to get to, into business so I can be in business for two years while I'm opening up the photography studio, it will evolve into a multimedia branch where I start producing Fallon's Daily Toast, where I start producing other people doing, um, emulating almost Channel 3, but not really emulating a business. What's Channel 3? It's a a place, it's a studio. But I'm emulating a business model that I worked on in uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama. And it was, uh, they do like, video production needs and they do this and this and this and that and long story short getting into cover- government contracts and this fucking money that's out there that nobody's using um, and uh, so
0: So you're starting the business from a grant from the gu- from the military that is for disabled veterans Yeah Okay There's there, there was a little tough following you on that one
1: I just what I'm getting at is I'm going to eventually be offering you a job
0: Okay Yeah fair enough but uh, enough about stroking my own ego uh let's talk about this so you go back into the army to do broadcast journalism I go back into the army to do broadcast journalism in 2009 eight, 2009 in,
1: no 2008 so you're your mid-20s eight nine 10 11 12
2: 2008
1: I'm
0: 24. yeah um 20 is it a re-enlistment yeah okay why did you how did you get out the first time? Pregnancy. You get discharged from the military for pregnancy? I got
1: knocked up in Kiowa Island. I mean, I hate to say knocked up, but um, remember when I said I didn't go to... um, Qatar. uh, Qatar.
0: Qatar. Q-A-T-A-R, Qatar. however
1: that's supposed to be pronounced. It's Qatar. Qatar, okay. It's in the United Arab Emirates, blah, blah, blah. Um, Well, Ryan and I had one of these... Let me tell you about my best friend. (laughs) You know, like just great relationship. You know, you guys met in the army. We met in the army. He said, "I." I don't want to get into it. I'm into the all-American sweet boy, and you know, all these (laughs) years later, he's still that all-American sweet
0: boy. Blonde hair, blue eye type. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: But very uh, reserved, believe it or not. I do my best with introverted men, if I don't scare the hell out of them. <laughs> so, so you guys, it's it's you a, guys we, meet. Yeah, we
0: meet. Yeah, yeah, uh, I give up. Boy guitar, meets girl. Boy yeah. meets girl. Um, well, they have another. They have. They have their own. Yeah, but their own, have, own family. Yeah. So you get yeah. out, and then you're just a military wife at this point.
1: No, actually, because it coincided with him. Um. ETSing,
0: which is I don't know uh, ex-
1: expired term of service.
0: Okay, so he's uh, he did his four years, eight years, right. whatever it is. Okay. So
1: I get in November two thousand, November seventeenth two thousand four. I get pregnant, which is a great story. We don't have time for it. Um, uh, and get out June two thousand six, June twentieth two thousand six. And it just coincided with when he got out. Um, We went traveling. uh, We went camping. We did a lot of camping when I was nine months pregnant. I was in love with him. Uh, But anyways, I ended up going back into uh, broadcast journalism, um, which was amazing because I had always... I, watching Zigfield Follies or Dean Martin in a White Christmas, I, I've always wanted to be a producer of some sort or yeah. be in show business in the whole nine yards. Like you know what it's like, you're doing it right now, yeah. and you. I I hope you like me. It sparked when you were a kid, you know something in you possessed you to fucking want to
0: do, entertain the world. Yeah, it's that. Hey, look at me, Gene. It's done. It goes so much more. Than well, I lo- like I enjoy the producing side of things too. Like I enjoy working behind the mic as much as I do in the front. Some Me people too. don't, and I do both. I because think like, I think I do both well. I probably do behind the mic stuff better. Are than you an Aries? No, Taurus. Do Taurus, but either way, like it's, you're producing. lucky. I know what my zodiac side is. This could have been this. Could, I, I'm I, lucky. Don't, I don't I i do not even know what Aries I is. Diving into a shell, Zon.
1: We'll drop <laughs> it there. It's just a, kind of like having your cake and eating it too. kind a person, I enjoy producing because. Um, I want to be in control of the casting. I want to be in control of the locations. And I want to be in control of, you know, um, so much. But then again, like, you know, I, I actually haven't even been featured in any of the productions I've produced. So I do love being in front of the camera, though. I should show you some work sometime. Uh,
0: broadcast okay, so show. Uh, so basically you've now become Joker from uh, Full Metal Jacket. What did you, what turn that you- have you ever seen that movie? It's been a long time. Oh. Joker is uh, Matthew Modine. He's the uh, journalist. Journalist, yes. yeah.
1: So I've become... Well, actually, my friend Justin Morelli, who I'm going to make listen to this, he's a um, he's a Bostonian. Mm-hmm. And he got in a fight for me once at Camden Yards because somebody disrespected me. And, like, Bostonians do not like girls or women getting disrespected for some reason. Okay. Well, uh, he, was always, he was always telling me when I would disrespect myself. He'd be like, Diane, you're so much better than that. You know what I mean? He was an upstanding guy. So, you know, tongue Sounds in like cheek. Sounds like a mensch. Yeah, a mensch. A good <laughs> mensch, yeah. um, he, He's an Italian mensch. I mean, anybody can be a mensch. But, um... But being but a real stand-up guy, he was a combat cameraman. I was a broadcast journalist, um, which they taught me how to run a radio show, which I'll be mm-hmm. hopefully doing Boston Public Free Radio. If I well, we'll get into that later. But really, that's my next thing is a radio show because I love to talk, obviously. Yeah, but. clearly. So, uh, but um, they. They, you know, from we can go on and on about DIMFOs or the Defense Information School. It's situated in Fort Meade, Maryland, which I call the epicenter of awesomeness.
0: <laughs> in between D.C., Annapolis, and Baltimore. Yeah, it's right outside of Columbia. Right outside of Columbia. Yeah. You're 30, 30 45 minutes from Baltimore, 30, 45 minutes from D.C.
1: Uh, speaking of Morelli, you know where he took me? These, because uh, it's a very hands-on, like, outside in the field work. And Justin Morelli found this um, fucking abandoned insane asylum. Well, we all said it was an insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a, an old hospital. It was very dangerous to go into.
0: Like you had to... Um, where?
1: and where? It was right outside the gates of Fort Meade,
0: Maryland. Okay.
1: Outside the NSA gate.
0: Oh, uh, uh, just outside of Greenbelt, Maryland. Yeah, um, Greenbelt, Maryland. And there's oh, like this. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy until I remember the name of it. But I know, do you, do I've you never you been familiar? there, but I know of it. You know the I'm hospital? From Baltimore, and it's I worked from in. from Baltimore? I'm from Baltimore.
1: Camden Yards, Section 86. Yeah. I thought they're my favorite. <laughs> I was there when <laughs> Leaders hit his first home run, dude. I've okay. been to over 72 ballgames at
0: Camden Yards. Okay, yeah, you said that you got yeah, that he got into a fight with a guy at Camden Yards, and I was gonna ask, say because I know about the yard because Joe, if grew, you're listening. I know about Memorial Stadium. I All went right, to we have games so, at Memorial Stadium. Why are games. we talking about it's boring work? Anyway, but because this is about, I know, I know. You just go on, go on, go on. What are you really doing? But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'm from Baltimore. Yeah. I worked in Montgomery County. But so anyway, you know, so you go to this uh, So we go to this abandoned ho- hospital. And it
1: was just interesting. It was just um kind of like no pun intended, my first exposure to how much fun you can. With documenting history, okay. You know what I mean? it there was the you know, the abandoned overgrown moss and uh, the ivy and broken floor panels. Mm-hmm. It was so dangerous, but we'd go in there and photograph it. And then, like the really creepy children's playground <laughs> a broken swing, and then, like somebody fucking had to have thrown a dead doll baby in there with red eyes just to fucking scare everybody else. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so it didn't magically yeah. appear on its own. Somebody had to put it there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: that's yeah. your first taste of documenting and doing story work. Well, and that's. Stuff like that. That's.
1: I mean, if anybody friending me on Facebook and then you, I noticed you did that today. Thank you. Yeah. Um. It's part noticed, of the research. Uh, I document history. I document fucking history, and it, it's me being bored using my dope, you know, ADD camera and taking self-photography with a lot of makeup on, by the way, mm-hmm. and a lot of light. It's not me, you know, well, it is because I don't identify with looking like, you know, with hair and makeup on, but it's not just that. It goes to, you know, Ricky's Farmer's Market uh, buddies. Um This, this, I'm gonna document your lavatory that you have here. Like, documenting everything. I'll go Facebook Live. Everybody needs to document everything about history because we need to remember it. You know what I mean? We need to, people need to know where we've come from. Think of the dark ages. You know what I mean? Everything needs to be archived. Besides, like, maybe I don't feel like making bad jokes right now. There's some things that probably. I
0: try to, I never wanna make bad jokes. Just sometimes my jokes are bad. Like do you remember that movie Running with Scissors? No. Running oh, God, with Scissors. It was
1: so weird. Diane Bennett. No, who is the mom and played in American Pie? American Beauty.
0: American Beauty. Annette uh, Benning.
1: Annette uh was it Annette Benning? Annette Benning. It's a re- it's Truman Capote's. Okay. I think it's Truman Capote's story. Okay. His oh you got to see it. It's such a, I was in the very dark films.
0: Um I don't know. I'm
1: bringing that up so we can move on. Uh, but <laughs>
0: Yeah, broadcast journalism. So you're in there and then you got discharged medically. Is that what the scar on your arm's from?
1: Uh, no, the scar on my
0: arm's from when I got pregnant. I will, okay, real quick. Did scar- you have a bad uh, doctor who thinks the baby's come out through the arm?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: no, that's not how everybody's baby were born.
1: No, okay, just real quick story. Um, Back into- Now I'm just
0: showing off my observantness. That's no, all you're I was. Good. That's smart. I bet you're a good writer.
1: Um, in 2005, um, I had, uh, well, I'll tell you this, it's a good story, I'll tell it to you. Nobody judge me. But, um, okay, so anyways, Ryan, I said no to Qatar. Ryan and I got together. We, um, had a lot in common in terms of we were very, very free spirits and traveled. And, um, we both liked, uh, marijuana. And, like, when you find another pothead in the military... And even if though you can't smoke it you just you get a kingship you know ryan introduced me to rock and roll before that it was just like big band music for me so ryan was sweet and he was ryan is um you know one of those human beings that uh how did you not get tainted by the world why why do i live with a callous chip and you can see it What's wrong with you, you know? He's also the type of man, when he found out his mother's a multi-billionaire, that he didn't flinch, you know what I mean? He's also the type of man that watched me get a C-section and they took my stomach and placed it on my guts and he he didn't move, so he has this poker face. In any event, he's he's a calculated, horrible human being for what he's done to me in the past and at the very same time, he's the most caring, compassionate, loving, most sound, smartest, most perfect man ever. So in any event, uh, why wouldn't I get into a relationship with him? But, um, we went to Kiowa Island, which is off the coast of South Carolina and, um, where you can rent bikes. They're not even rent. The bikes are just spread all across the island and there's these huge homes and it's a private island. And, you know, with the military discount off season, you can get, you know, great stuff. And, uh, so I remember, and you know, I, I'm not n- n- at all by any means a free here, and I'm not bringing, you know, any existentialism into this, but God damn it, be specific with the universe when you ask it for something, because sometimes it fucking listens. Because I said to myself this day, on, we were on Kiowa Island, and we're on the beach, and you know, it's just a storm was rolling in, yet there was still sunlight peeking through the sunset. And I said to myself, I wanna be with this man for the rest of my life. Somehow. I wanna, you know, be with this man. I just know that. He was my first boyfriend, the first man I ever told me, I Love me, you oh, know, was great. So, um, long story short, that was the weekend I got pregnant. Okay. And um, I was pregnant. Um, I took a pregnancy test and don't buy the cheap pregnancy <laughs> test. Don't do it. False alarm. Um and uh well, so I thought I was not pregnant, which I totally, you know, we we'll, won't we'll get on all that, but, um, so, uh, yeah, wasn't pregnant. Didn't tell Ryan.
0: So you were on the island on a vacation? I, South, on the island.
1: island on a vacation. I got pregnant.
0: You checked that. that's when you found out you are pregnant. No. That's when you guys conceived. Okay. Yeah. That's when okay. we conceived.
1: I'm just throwing that yeah. out there to right, save the enough. big reveal. You'll find out how I got fair it. Enough. How I found out I was pregnant here in a minute. (laughs) So uh, the holidays rolled around. Um, He took me home to Thanksgiving to meet his family. Um, I was pregnant at the time. Nobody knew that. His family is very. um, Did you know it? Yeah. At the time. Uh, I know. So you didn't know it either yet. No, I'm not. I'm not very like I'm. I'm healthy as a fucking ox.
0: But the pregnancy test, the cheap pregnancy test you took, said negative. Negative was wrong. Yeah. So whatever. Okay. So you're there at the house. I'm out At of the his house, family's yeah. house. Family's house. Family's house. Thanksgiving.
1: And the week before I got to his family's house, Ryan and I were in um, his bedroom and it was like three o'clock in the morning. I left a candle on, so I went and blew it out, but I stuck my whole face in the candle and blew it out. So all the wax came and melted my face.
2: Ah. So
1: I had no eyebrows and no eyelashes. I'm meeting my future in laws for the first time, who are wasps. I mean, they're of the elitists of the elite you can get in the chicago area their families friends run banks it's nuts that's why i never felt comfortable in chicago anyways (laughs) uh i love them clearly so um okay another month passes by and you know roll around christmas time ryan being the good son that he is goes home to crystal lake illinois for the holidays and uh me being the badass little punk found some pot on kiowa island Mm-hmm. And I smoked of the ganja. <laughs> um, what was so, what was the we long were, and point long, long and short of all this?
0: Uh, so you were at Ryan's family's house for Thanksgiving. You didn't know. Oh, you were I, yeah,
1: and I'm meeting like Mr. and Mrs. Super Classy social wasps with no eyelashes and no makeup on. But you know, they're such down to earth people. That, like, it didn't matter. That's a preconceived notion, a blinder that builds walls. Some guy in the Keys taught me that one. So that's kind of where, like, you know what I mean? Like, I am i don't think that, you know, I i wasn't born into a high society family. And it made me very nervous for a long time. But that's what I was dealing with. And that just the pressures of all that. So anyways, what happened was I got caught smoking pot because I made a stupid joke to my commander about this nun who was like told the pope that you laid back motherfucker because he was the pope was smoking weed in this joke all right I was right it did not land this was a piece of spaghetti joke that did not fucking stick on the wall and I told it to the wrong outgoing commander and he gave me a drug test that night and I popped Um, I'll never tell anybody that um, who else I smoked with that'll be a secret to my grave, so I took it like a fucking champion. Okay,
0: you're not a stoolie, gotcha.
1: Yeah. So, um, and plus I was pregnant at the time, so you know nothing was gonna fucking happen to that kid. Hmm. Um, but uh anyways, I didn't know I was pregnant, and we had this, we had m- tons of woods to play in in on Fort Gordon, and we found this lake that we would go to, and my girlfriend at the time had this. Ford escort with a trunk of contingencies as she would call it with golf balls um lighter fluid uh medieval uh, swords and hats and the whole nine yards and uh we all drank a lot man we i mean like i know everybody drinks a lot like a lot but you know 18 19 year old kids dealing with you know going to war every three months yeah. like we were raging yeah. fucking alcoholics
0: so you're out in the woods. Binge drinking. In Chicago. Visiting- no, no, no,
1: no. We're not in Chicago right now. We're in, sorry.
0: South Carolina. Okay.
1: Yeah, close. The coast of uh, South Carolina, whatever that yeah. island was. Yeah, so nice. Fort Gordon, Georgia, but I brought the weed back, right? And it, <gasps> okay, sorry. Okay, got, brought the weed. <laughs> this is all going to make sense. Brought the weed from South Carolina to Fort Gordon, Georgia for a Christmas break treat. Okay. For some of my other bad kids in the military that were smoking pot at that time. Okay. Simultaneously, Ryan was not hanging out with us at this pot-fueled party in the middle of the woods. He was in um, Illinois with his family in Crystal Lake celebrating the Christmas holiday.
0: Okay. So you visited them for Thanksgiving, went back to Georgia. He stayed. Gotcha. Thank you.
1: Go. Okay. So um, basically... uh, it's it's really hard for me you're
0: and, drunk and stoned in the woods
1: and we're drunk and stoned in the woods like i'm a really good with golf balls and stuff so we're wacky but then eventually we get bored and we did like a waterfall with liquor bottles there's 15 of us and then so we get bored and um, you know hide and go seek is always a fun game and uh my friend cory escalates it to by grabbing one of our louisville sluggers an old white T-shirt, and then the um, lighter fluid for the bonfire.
0: And uses it as makes a torch.
1: Makes okay. a torch. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> like, oh, I think I want to be your friend after this. <laughs> I hope we get to talk again. You're just cool because mm-hmm. that's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. It was Catch the Man with the Torch. Ah. Some, but this was going to end badly. Somebody was going to get hurt. Um, but... Um,
0: So you're, were you carrying the torch or were you chasing after somebody?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. One person had the torch. Eight of us were chasing after her. Corey decided to sacrifice herself first to hold the torch, right? Mm -hmm. So we shut off the ignition to the car and it was pitch black with the torch. Just the torch. Just the Mm torch. So we can't see anything. And um, we're all three sheets to the wind and what have you. And, you know, this this was my first rodeo. So I wanted to, like, make sure that I fucking did this with precision. I do a lot of dumb shit with precision. But, like, so I took my shoes off, and she counts to ten, and it's like hide-and-go-seek, and I take my other shoe off, and I see her in my sights, and God damn it, that torch is mine. So I break off at a sprint. And mind you, I was working out a lot back then. I could sprint, and I was like, uh, you know, you're drunk, so you think you can run a little faster. In the woods, in the dark. In the woods, in the dark, and and she can't hear me because I'm barefoot now. Well, anyways, I run right into the only concrete picnic table (laughs) in the entire wooded area. I mean, it was juxtaposed against a, a... an awning, a, a wooden awning where people gather and, you know, a normal place for people to gather. And then, you know, juxtaposed against that, you know, 15, 20 feet away is this lone, one lone table. Concrete table.
0: Jesus. And you ran right into it. Uh, right Due to break the right. arm? Oh, uh, yeah. This is Compound factor? Yeah. So that's what the scar's from. Okay. So
1: then, like, all my friends were underage. Nobody would take me to the hospital. I'm like, look, fuck you guys. I'm in shock. I'm not crying. Take me to the hospital. I get to the hospital. And my best friend Corey was with me at the time. And this guy named Tohid Tabesh, an Iranian, um, who, uh, what are the, if we're expats, he's an ex. Pat. He's an
0: expat. For an, an, an Iranian expat. Okay. So he's an yeah. Iranian
1: expat. And, um, he was batshit insane, but, um, love him to death. We can talk about him later. He was part of, he was the guy I told you, wrote the classified reports, sent it up, then it became unclassified. Okay. He was also, um, a part of the task force that took out, and I'm not making this up, he was a part of the task force that took out fucking, um, uh, Osama Hussein, Osama Bin Laden.
0: Ah, oh, part of SEAL Six.
1: Yeah. Oh. He, um, because he was working in, like, because he was a linguist, because obviously he's from Tehran originally. And then he started uh, intel as soon as he got his clearance, and then he was a part of that task force. I mean, wow. I saw pictures of Osama bin Laden in that spider hole, like probably three weeks before it was released. Jesus. I know. So it's, it's been a crazy... So he takes life. you to the hospital? He takes me to the hospital, and they're funny he has the best sense of humor and they're both making me laugh and you know i'm laying in the bed and um we finally you know get through the emergency room and i'm always like a cocksucker to these people like <laughs> it's not that i don't have any respect for doctors it's just that i think they get way too much respect yeah sometimes. at the same time we need them right yeah just as much we
0: need them but also at the but same yeah. time stop telling us that you need us uh, yeah. that we need you stop telling us that we need you we get it yeah we also stop being smarmy people. but anyway you get it yeah is that where you found out you were pregnant?
1: Yeah, I was just laying in the hospital bed and they come in they're like, okay, we're going to have to take some tests on your arm and it's going to be like with the the x-rays and this and that. Any chance you're pregnant, I say with confidence. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's like the fourth time I've ever had sex and we used a condom and I just took a pregnancy test the other day. No way I'm pregnant. They leave. They come back. Ten minutes later, Miss parent Dre, you know, I'm laying in there, my arm's, now starting to get annoying because they wouldn't give me any drugs without finding if I were pregnant birth. And boy, was I looking forward to fucking drugs. <laughs> you know, if I could be any kind of drug addict, I would be like a heroin addict for sure. Like in my nineties, I'll try it when I'm in my nineties. I'll try it's it. It's gotta
0: be really good if people are still doing it. Ew!
1: It's so gross. You see, in Manhattan though, what these people do—don't do fucking heroin, kids. Shit's nasty.
0: No, yeah, I'm from Baltimore. I, I we have seen that they do—they do the heroin tight cheese the where lean. they get lean. Yeah. yeah, they lean. How does it like, happen? They're weebles. They're—they wobble, but they won't fall over. What is that? I don't know. It's a somehow doing heroin magnetizing your feet.
1: They it it that you look. They the the point of falling over for all intents and purposes, gravity, Newton's law, everything. They defy it.
0: Yeah, if you want to be apparently a really good yogi, do heroin. That's apparently how it happens. So anyway, (laughs) that's okay. So that's when you found out you were pregnant. Yeah,
1: they came in. I was like eight months later. You're discharged from the from the army. Yeah, but listen, what a class act I am. So Ryan's at home, and listen, what a class act Ryan is. Ryan's at home in Illinois. It's now Christmas Eve, right? And I do get, apparently you can have codeine when you're pregnant. You know what I mean? I didn't ask them to give me an instant, you know, I'm not going to be rude in this podcast. So um, <laughs> uh, anyways, so I, I every five minutes, I you know, as much as they coding would let drip. you, yeah. the coding drip, I loved it. So I called Ryan and I'm like, hey, Ryan, I'm in the hospital and I broke my arm. You know, he left. I didn't tell him I was knocked up, because I I have, like, I'm not Grace Kelly, and sometimes I'm crass, and like, but I've I've got this part of me that has manners and class, you know what I mean? And like, just human decency, so this isn't a Jerry Springer show, I'm going to tell this man that I'm pregnant in person.
2: Yeah. So, So but I
1: didn't, so he left Chicago, just on the sole fact that I was his girlfriend, I broke my arm, and I was home alone on this, you know, fucking
0: Christmas holiday
1: yeah. yeah um so yeah it oh which is the first time i pissed my ex-mother-in-law Long but he start, leaves family yeah, so yeah.
0: he goes by so, uh, so, uh, he comes comes to georgia you tell he him he comes
1: he comes he comes he comes to the my rescue and take first thing he does is takes me out to dinner then he had his own room in the barracks and we get up there and i'm picture you're him and i'm okay. me and i'm just nervous i'm like well hey shucks hey, Ryan, you know, I broke my arm. He's like, I know, baby, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, Ryan, you know, there's something else here I got to tell you. And, well, you know what I'm talking about. And, and then he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, it's kind of obvious. And just see the thing as well, you know, I don't know, Ryan, I'm
0: pregnant. Oh. How does he take the news? He just leaned in and gave me a hug. Oh, that's good. And it embraced me. <laughs> For me, you would see a dentist-shaped cloud and then a dentist-shaped hole through the wall. That's how I would react. <laughs> uh, that's how I
1: reacted years later. So it anyway, it the sweetest thing. It's just, um, as much as I hate that man, I have so much compassion.
0: So you go, uh, so you get discharged because because of that. You, yeah, you guys so go we around Yeah, so that was fun. That was divorce. Fun. Yeah, you so go back I, in the military. Yeah, but I, mind journalism.
1: you, I'm I just got caught for pot, and then I yeah. show up pregnant. The so command loved
0: me. How did you get? discharged the second time for a medical. Um, That's what I wanted to know. That's how we got there. That sucks. That's an even better story.
1: Maybe on another podcast we can go into deeper details about it. Let's just say I got irrevocably sick. There's like um, 12% of the population, actually let's be honest, it's 6% of the U.S. population comes down with this illness. Um, Nobody knows where it comes from and it comes from like whenever like you're 26 to like maybe 30 and if you don't get it between 26 and 30 you're never gonna get it it's kinda like you know it's a it's a mental health issue um and uh I'm just one of the lucky few that
0: got it what's the name of it why so everybody can fucking judge me <laughs> why is that a, why how are they gonna judge you for well because
1: could you tell I was mentally ill before this or did you just think I was talkative no I'm on some pretty fucking fabulous medications Um, Which, you know, we can get into later, but um, it was a diagnosis of um, pretty scary, pretty scary case of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. disorder. Um, So you were released for PTSD. And uh, postpartum depression. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, anyways. No, it's bipolar. <laughs> but and those other things. But um it, it was interesting.
0: So were you section uh, I can cut this out if you no, want. No, it wasn't section, section 8. eight. No, okay. it wasn't
1: section 8. Actually, if it were, it would be
0: That's unless
1: fine. I'm going to tell you right now. They should have given me a medical discharge. They didn't. Now, um I'm in litigation, not even in litigation. We just wrote a letter and we're getting my discharge reclassified. And they are PAC paying me for six years. Um, And then the other way I got filthy fucking rich from being bipolar is that I was on a name brand manufactured drug. And I already told you less than 6% of the population gets this. And this manufacturer makes over... 50 billion dollars a year marketing to less than six percent of the population of that six wait listen to this of that six percent a smaller percent actually takes the manufacturer that's making over 50 billion dollars my medication a month is eleven hundred dollars jesus so um anyways i was on this drug called abilify and, uh, long story short. I've heard
0: lawyer commercials. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah. I don't Class have, action lawsuit stuff for that stuff. I don't
1: have a television and I don't have a computer and I don't read the news since getting diagnosed. Like I, I'm very highly functional on all these things, but you know, since getting diagnosed, it's just, it triggers me sometimes. You know what I yeah. mean? I'm like, I don't have a fucking television. I just don't, I don't fucking want that on all the time. You know, it's not yeah. necessarily being bipolar. But, like, I hate advertisements, for example. Mm-hmm. So I dated this man who, like, was in the music industry. Never date anybody in the music industry if you love music. <laughs>
2: they will it will ruin it for you. I second
1: that. It will ruin it for you. But what this dipshit did fucking do is I got back from a trip, a work trip to Manhattan. I was auditioning for the actor's studio. And uh, it was my I, – so I went for 15 days because I had to get away from my boyfriend. We were together for six months and – it's not what I signed up for originally, but anyways, this dipshit. I'll tell you what, when I got home from New York, he's like, Diane, you know how we think there's all these problems with your medications? And I'm like, yeah, I've been telling my doctors for eight or nine months the Abilify is just not working. I was on the brand name, of Abilify, and he goes, well, you know what, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going quid pro quo or, you know, tit for tat with the what this television saying and what it's going on. I'm like, what are you saying here? Get clear. He's like, Diane, there's a class action lawsuit, so get this. Fuck it, I'll tell you guys. Um, My best friend was like, don't tell anybody you have money until you're like engaged. You know what I mean? But listen to this. So this is what happens with the class action lawsuit. Um, I have over 900 pages of evidence, like my medical evidence, uh, triangulations of the erratic spending. And I don't want to get really boring or whatever, but my case is so solid that it wasn't, when I first signed up with the class action lawsuit, it wasn't supposed to go to litigation for five years. Let me change my tone of voice when I signed up for this class action lawsuit um, they were like okay thanks for signing up and I'm like hey listen if I'm gonna if you guys are gonna run up my statute of limitations let me know because I have an attorney in Manhattan that will take over this case right now they're like we'll give you plenty of time to let you know but we're not going to litigation for at least five years so just fucking relax and I'm like okay okay then I start questioning and they're like you were going to we're proving it right now and we are going to litigation with certain Floridians um, this June and then so I kind of tell them I'm like hell I just found this out for my dipshit boyfriend. As far as I'm concerned I have a different five ten year plan. I told you about my government contract. Yeah. So I'm like you know this is has nothing to do with anything but if you are doing something I have to tell you that I think I have a very legitimate case. And um, they asked for evidence so I sent them like in a week. Nine hundred pages of like bank statements and you know uh, the fact that I was on the name manufactured brand and yada 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 yada.
0: And so the the class action suit for a bill of so wait has- hold on. Yesterday I got a call saying
1: that they're opening my case.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: I called my best friend in Great Neck, Island, Long Island, who is an attorney, and I'm like, what does this mean? They're opening my case. She says they believe in you and they
0: want. And So they're taking me to litigation uh, sooner than next June. Okay. So, what is the class action suit for Abilify for? What is it saying they weren't that it wasn't doing? Um,
2: okay.
1: So, what it's what it's it's not. Was it placebo ish? Is, okay. Or? So, it's not placebo ish. Um, it's uh, what happens is okay. So, by um, Abilify treats like. If you follow mental illness, you understand a lot of the um, symptoms go coincide, side side. Like, you know, uh, you can be a bipolar and have a lot in common with the depressant, but the depressant doesn't mean you're bipolar and yet, yet, yeah. yet, yet. So, symptoms are kind of like blah, 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 blah. But uh, uh, the question was um, what the drug Abilify was doing when you're bipolar, you, um, I don't know if it's Up a and down fr- manics it, and, yeah. It, yeah, besides your manic depressive and then your hypomania which I'm the hypomania type you know what I mean Clearly. I'm not really the present I, I know I love it I love it all my friends I just love being um, it's who I am and it just gets heightened but what it does is that in the natural state of a bipolar you're gonna have a lot of um, like I think before I speak now but um, it's so a, a lot of compulsive issues okay uh, sexual deviancy is one of them I mean, I'm a sexual deviant, but I'm not a sexual deviant. you know what I yeah. mean? So that wasn't one of my issues, but that is one of the things that they're mm-hmm. suing for. Uh, gambling, um, uh, compulsive eating, and compulsive spending. So Abilify was increasing these things? Abilify was increasing your compulsive... Mania. Yeah, where it should have been... Um,
0: suppressing it. Suppressing it. It was irritating it. Hmm. Yeah, see, I didn't know what that was. So, okay. So, when did you find out about the class action lawsuit? Five years ago? No, or? like four months ago. Four months ago. Okay. So, you got... Okay. All right. So, you're all on that. When you got discharged, you're leaving the Army, what were you... What did oh, you that's why do I
1: say... I'll, you don't have to edit any of this. If you want to, you can. Okay. So, this is interesting. What they did to me was... Um, I, I gave them six years of my life and... Um, fuck it if you're curious about bipolar you can study how it gradually comes on but for me it started with um erasing thoughts like i think of it as uh um a fire hydrant pushed over and the water coming out that's how much you know is going through my brain at any given moment in time and it's not necessarily like negative thoughts and stuff because i don't watch like i don't put bad things in my head so bad things don't come out like I'm innocent I don't want to hurt myself I don't want to hurt anybody else I don't hear things and I don't see things and those are all four solid truths but like you can have rushing thoughts just like mania it's yeah. mania you know what I mean yeah Um. so that crept on and then um, in November of 2011 without getting into all the details uh, for some reason the bipolar just came on full frontal uh, it, it it hit me like a goddamn tsunami and um i was living in uh alabama mobile at the time and um i had been seeing a psychiatrist or a shrink rather not a shrink but um, a therapist for two years and she had never once never once suggested that i had a mental illness and it was evident if you're I mean, going I would to see a
0: therapist, don't you automatically have a mental illness? Something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, they say that, I mean, I'm like, seeing a they shrink say a lot down. of
1: adults experience mental illness, but it's less than 6% that have it for their entire life. You can dip in and out of having a mental illness. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right. But there's some validity to that. But, like, furthermore, what a yeah. dipshit.
0: Yeah. I mean, fuck you. Were you even listening to me? Yeah. Like, I'm t- I just started seeing a psychiatrist now who has me on Zoloft, which is wonderful, I love it, but he was You have it, to he take was, it every day. I have day. the depression. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have obsessive-compulsive disorder and depression, and he was asking me, uh, he goes, how long have you been depressed? I'm like, "Oh, off and on since middle school, probably. Mm. He goes, oh, wow. Well, we're probably not going to be able to treat your depression, because you've had it so long, you don't know what normal feels like. That? <laughs> my, my... That's bullshit. I'm um, paraphrasing, and I make it, I'm exaggerating a little bit on, on, but on the the And he's being side. a jokester. So, no, he's not. He said That's it very That's horrible seriously. bedside manner. I'm I'm saying it in a jokey way. But he basically says, wow, you probably don't know what normal is. Okay, he's an idiot. um, So he goes, let's try and treat your uh, your OCD first and see about the depression afterwards. So he puts me on Zoloft for the OCD. And I can tell you honestly, it is doing nothing for the OCD, but it's made me, it's it's helped my depression. The OCD
1: medicine has helped your depression. Yes,
0: because uh, Zoloft is used to treat both OCD and depression. Okay, good. Um, But I can still tell that I'm, uh, obsessive about things. And, and not, you're not religious focused.
1: about taking the pill? Yeah.
0: See, no. I'm, I, I'm not. Well, I had I take, to get an injection. Head. Oh no, I, I take tons I'm of pill I take a bunch of pills. Oh, every day yeah. Now. We
1: have to get into your health. I mean, like when you're ready to talk about it.
0: Oh, I have, it's all right. Did I tell you that I had two heart attacks on a stroke?
1: Yeah, I was gonna bring okay. beers and I'm like, yeah, well maybe
0: not. <laughs> well technically I'm not supposed to drink on zoloft either, but I do it anyway. But um yeah. So yeah, point being uh, I get it. I understand. I'm seeing him. Uh, uh, I'm seeing somebody too now. Um, oh, So yeah. I'm off and on in that, figuring that stuff out too. Okay, but, that's... So you get... That re- reminds me. That reminds
1: me. Okay, so anyways. So anyways, um, just the level of the healthcare uh, in the United States and the disconnects in mental health and how hard it is and we won't get into all that because it's literally uh, a, a whole nother fucking podcast. But my point is, I saw this therapist. She never wrote anything up. She, I, I mean, I, I have the note. I can pull it up. She gives me a beautiful prognosis report. Diane's well-dressed and well-spoken, has manners, and she cares about her son. No, bitch, I'm telling you, I fucking miss my son, you goddamn whore. You know what? It's tearing my life apart. None of that was written up. Anyways, long story short, I love being open. Fuck it. Uh, my name is uh, Abigail Malerny. I'm gonna change my identity now that i'm giving you all this information <laughs> all right so uh anyways long story short and then i went to i am like well i'm gonna get a second opinion because I, I think mm-hmm. something's going on you know and um i got a second opinion and uh told them everything that was going on and they had the recommendation of my therapist and they uh i'm like well you know i think i'm bipolar this sucks to admit i've never heard of it before but uh, a couple people said that they think i'm bipolar so um so they gave me xanax okay for being bipolar, which is like sticking oil into the fire hydrant and hoping that it'll clog the water. No, it's just gonna spill out. Gonna okay, spill so Xanax out. didn't work. Xanax doesn't do shit for being bipolar. I have no
0: idea. I don't know, but okay.
1: But a bill if I did, a bill if I yeah. did save my life, I have to give it to you. But it wore off very quickly and it did incite a compulsive spending immediately. But what happened was, um, I was fine and dandy. Uh, I fit very well into the good old boys club that was the Alabama National Guard. Mm-hmm. I, uh, in when it comes to work and seriously taking a professional, I'm a fucking bad bitch. Just love it. I loved it. I love working. You know. So
0: where's your son while you? Re-unvested? I'll tell you that in a minute. Okay.
1: Um, because this is important. You know this. He was with me half the time every year, until. This.
0: You guys shared custody.
1: Yeah. Because um, I could feel myself sick before we got the divorce. Like getting really sick. And nobody in his family was helping me and he wasn't helping me. And nobody. I just knew I had to get away from my son. So that's how I left my son. Because I was uh, becoming very ill. Okay. Very quickly. The
0: postpartum and the bipolar stuff. Everything. Okay.
1: So there's that. Um, but anyways, so what the military did is uh, I, I ended up You know, everybody wrote me off as just being quirky. Everybody wrote me off as just being weird, except for this one lieutenant. And she's like, are you seeing somebody? I'm like, yeah, her name's Dr. Mastrone. And she started asking me questions. I'm like, yeah, Dr. Mastrone just says I'm fine, but I think something else is wrong because I can't get over any of this. And uh, so uh, long story short, the only time I've ever hurt myself is I cut my finger at a Waffle House because I thought Steve Jobs had... Aristotle, quote, had told Steve Jobs to pass me the torch, and I was to take over Apple. But I needed to get out of the South because I thought everybody was trying to kill me. So the only way I figured I could get out of the South is if the black ladies at the Waffle House would help me get out, but I didn't have a pen, so the only thing I could sign in was blood. I cut my finger. <laughs> I know. That,
0: paranoid, insane thoughts. Yeah, that comes along with bipolarness.
1: Thank yeah, you. Thank you. But That's about <laughs> as nuts as it gets. But, no, so, um, and then I get to the hospital. There's only two ways to get admitted to a mental hospital. Um, if there's voluntary and involuntary. Uh, or if you want to hurt yourself or if you want to hurt other people, you're automatically in, right? Um, I had cut my finger, and the Mobile Infirmary stitched it up and sent me home. When they asked me why I cut my finger, I told them, because Aristotle told Steve Jobs to pass me the torch because I was going to do Apple and the mobile infirmary still sent me home. And wow. only only like 6 years later this is all going to come into sense did I even figure out what a statute of limitation was. Like and in the medical field they are really short time periods. You yeah. know what I mean. So like uh Revenge Diane came in here in a minute. So I go to one mental hospital finally like okay so mobile infirmary didn't admit me but this lady's still tracking me. They sent me to go get evaluated. Mental hospitals suck. They're not like one floor over the cuckoo's nest. They're not fun. You know what I mean? No, they're sad and depressing, yeah. They're sad and depressing, and like orange juice is never enough. Like, they're tiny little orange juice cups, and you have, whatever. (laughs) Okay. Long story short, I go too to late. one. I go to one. I get. <laughs> I get diagnosed too late. Yeah, I get diagnosed. You can cut any and all this. No, out go. You Keep want. going. I'm, I'm I get diagnosed. They give me Depakote, which like, and lithium. Depakote and lithium to start off with, and since I'm so convincing as a normal person or whatever, um, they let me have internet access, where I wrote some of my friends, acquaintances, music buddies. Help! I'm in a mental institution. They won't let me out. A couple of them didn't talk to me for a couple of years. I freaked some people out. But who in their right mind lets a mental institution patient use the computer? Yeah, that wasn't
0: the best decision on their part. Now I kind I, I kind of want to read those emails that I sent out on those dark days. <laughs> um, so when was how old were you when this happened?
1: I was. Um, I'm 32 now, and it was 2011. Was I 26 or 27? So
0: yeah, 26, 27. Okay, so, so it's right 20s. around the time it comes on.
1: Okay. Um. Anyway, so I go to the first mental institution, and that I was there through Halloween and Thanksgiving. So I'm like, oh, fuck this. I love these holidays." You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I might be clinically insane and overly paranoid, but I'm a pragmatist when I'm thinking clearly and. God damn it! Halloween's fun. So, mm-hmm. anyways, first mental hospital sucks. I met this girl she thought her baby was Jesus. That was weird. I tried talking her out of it.
0: <laughs> and have I mean, you already left Ryan and the kid at that point?
1: We'll get back to that. Yeah, that happened several years before that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's also interesting because is this what is the how you were treated? in the mental institution and with the military not believing you and all that stuff. Is that why that you're, you've been involved in veteran affairs?
1: Um, hold on.
0: That thing could not have come at a better moment.
1: I know. (laughs) It's, it all kind of, it all kind of is involved together. And Mm.
0: uh, just let me finish real quick. Okay, go ahead.
1: Okay. So left first mental institution, Depakote lithium. Depakote made my eyes dark and the lithium I heard made me fat. So I like stopped taking it. And um, I was living in an apartment with like I, I, the electricity was down. I was throwing up everywhere. Like it was a fucking shamble. You know what I mean? And uh, nobody was there because I didn't have any friends or family. And the command had left me go, oh, no, she already went to the military. She's fine. No, I wasn't. So I was off my meds. And then, like, I forget what triggered them. I had one conversation with the commander, and they're like, she needs to go back. Which was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. So I go back to this new mental institution under the pretenses that it's going to be like on the Gulf of Mexico with waves and beach and palm trees. They're like, it's called oh, Gulf Oaks. You're going to love it. And I'm like, fine, I'll go. You know what I mean? Um, but, oh, here's the funny part. I'm like, you guys need to let me out of this mental institution out of the army. I'm going to Harvard. <laughs> okay. Which made me sound crazier. Yes. Right? But it was like I was in touch with the Harvard Extension. Anybody can really.
0: Oh, yeah. Harvard Extension. Anybody can get it. Yes.
1: But according to them, it was just like, all right, now she wants to go to Harvard.
0: Well, it's not Harvard. It's Harvard Extension. But yes, it's Harvard. Yeah.
1: I wasn't telling them It's Harvard, Harvard Finger extension Quotes. With yeah. Harvard Finger Quotes. Yeah. I wasn't telling them it was the Extension. I was just like, no, I have a real chance of going to Harvard. Give me a break. Yeah. They kept me in a couple weeks longer for that one. Um, anyways, so I got to the second one and then the very next day after I got out of my second mental institution, um, they said, guess what, Diane, you know how you want to go to Harvard? Here you go. Here's your paperwork. You're out.
0: Discharge for mental.
1: No, they didn't want to deal with me anymore. They, on my paperwork, they gave me an RE code of one, which means I'm allowed to come back in. And they just wanted me off their hands because they it was going from staff sergeant to staff sergeant would have to watch me like I was a, you know what I mean, on suicide watch or yeah. something. They didn't, like, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of cool right now, but like if I drink, I get really hyper and I'm, I can be hard to handle when I'm hyper. And when I was psycho?
0: I'm having enough trouble roping you in just to tell your story. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't nobody, imagine. Yeah, if you're just if you're command, drunk out of your gourd, yeah. The command
1: didn't want to deal with me anymore. Yeah. So they just let me it. go. So they discharged you, okay. With uh, no health insurance.
0: Oh, ooh, not good for someone who needs to take medication to make them normal. Every day for the rest of my life.
1: <sighs> so, um, you know the asshole brother in law that made me paint the wall? Yeah. That son of a bitch the day after I got out of the military, he sent me to the Veterans Benefit Administration. And he's like, you have a disability and you were in the hospital while you were in the Army. You need to document this now. So I document it. I let go of the paperwork for two years. Because I really, um, for all intents and purposes, like I have an income now. But I was very homeless after leaving the military because I refused to live with my family. And then so I would just travel. You know what I mean? Like... we can get into this all later but um, long story short they fucked me over because they didn't want to deal with me anymore like what should have happened is I should have gotten the medical full retirement discharge with the severance pay you know what I mean yeah I was in for six fucking years it wasn't six days in training you know what I mean Um, there should have been a medical board a process which would have taken four months That would have been four months of them mandatory babysitting me. They didn't want to do it. I should have been kicked out, not kicked out, but released under these medical conditions with an RE code of never coming back instead of the RE code of one. So I contacted an attorney. I'm set for life.
0: Oh, nice. You're one of the lucky people. but No, because I know how to read and write. And but they, there's plenty of veterans who don't have that access, who don't have that, or, or, or don't have the the paperwork behind them, or just somebody who's going to fight for them. So or they get denied they and
1: they don't know they can appeal. Yeah. Or they get an attorney. Like I did all out. With, I did it all without an attorney. Um, yeah. There's you know what it's a. It, like I, we've been talking about so many things that can. I, I'm a subject matter expert on. It goes into a million different directions. No, these veterans aren't being taken care of. No. Uh, Later on um, I did end up getting them for everything by the way like as soon as I got medicated and I could think clearly I said hey wait a minute you know what I mean? And then yeah. like, you know, so that's kind of what the process they're in now. So do I feel bad that I'm a part of a class actual lawsuit? No, I don't. Do I feel bad that I'm going to get my full medical retirement and my son's going to be able to go to college for free because I'm totally and permanently disabled? No, I don't. Do I feel bad that uh, I'm collecting the Social Security that I paid into? No, I don't. And my veterans benefits are entitlements. so No, I don't. I don't feel bad about any of that. What I feel bad about is that there are probably 450 to Five hundred and seventy-five thousand veterans out there right now who are starving homeless can't advocate for themselves that are entitled to the same exact thing that i have and it shouldn't make any of you guys sick out there because veterans are who you need to take care of first
0: right Uh, anybody who needs help this country is should be taking care of them especially somebody that fought for it and i I don't want to i I guess
1: like i'm kind of like i don't want to feel guilty Do you you feel
0: like you have, like, a survivor's remorse? I have a, I have a... a, I don't know if survivor's remorse is the right way.
1: Like, I don't, I think it's a spit Do you feel guilty? I feel guilty, like, it's a spit in the face when I, my best friend Sarah, I don't know if she knows any better, if she's just being a cunt, but she's like, I pay for you, Diane. And I kind of want to say, like, well, didn't I, I'm only getting certain, and it's not a lot of social security, you know, my other paycheck, but I'm pretty sure I paid
0: into that. Yeah, but also you're getting all this because they didn't take care of you when you needed it to. No. They if they would have done the, the right thing at the you right guys, time. guys, I was two
1: years, two years before I'd get health insurance again. And like bipolar can mirror schizophrenia in a way. know I, I wasn't seeing or hearing things, but God, it was scary. Yeah. And I'm not getting into it because this is not crimey hour. Yeah. But uh, do I feel yeah. bad for taking them for... And knowing what, you know. No, you shouldn't. No, I don't. So I don't. And I'm also not trying to suckle off the teat of the government for the rest of my life, but because I am disabled and I know how to read, there's a grant that'll help me start my own business for $25,000. And then I'll contract to the government. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all this money comes in and that's what we're talking about. So what, what do you do with all this money? I'm giving it to my son. I don't give a fuck about it. I think you need enough money to eat, have a roof over your head. But, like, for it to be, you know, causing wars and oil and unfair monopolies and impoverished third world countries that will never recover because people, two, three families, are making money off of the resources in those third world countries here in America or something like that. It's not fair. You know what I mean? So, like, I do feel kind of, you know, and I don't like disclosing the money, but then everybody wants to know. It's I call it a frequently asked question, like, well, what do you do for a living? You know, well, I do this. I'm a director. I'm a producer. Okay, well, where'd your money come from? Then I'm like, you know, I never tell people that, you know, well, first of all, I it's, it had to have been about five different lawsuits, but they all worked out.
0: When did you start getting involved in making films? Ah. <sighs> Thank you for changing Because you stuff. went to the Tisch School of No, of Tisch
1: is amazing. I went to a better. Tisch is cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an amazing school. I went somewhere
2: better, though. <laughs> I did.
1: I did. What Tisch does is, is an NYU school, and it's so fabulous. But um, Ted Zerkowski, my acting for comedy teacher at the Lee Strasberg, for instance, teaches a class at Tisch. But Tisch gives their students an incredible opportunity to study at any of the group theater um, group theater being, um, Stella Adler, Sandy Meisner of, uh,
0: the Meisner method. Yeah.
1: The Meisner method. Uh, w- it, but he has the playhouse in Manhattan and Stella Adler has a Stella Adler studio and Lee Strasberg has Lee Strasberg Institute and there's the new school. And, uh, I don't think Juilliard plays too well with, um, Tish, but I know Tish will let their students take classes simultaneously at the Strasburg um, at Sandy Meisner's place and at uh, Stella and so on and so forth. Um, But so, like, essentially Tisch students, because I went to Stella Adler and the Lee Strasburg, Tisch students paid to go to where I was going. So I'm very proud of my time spent at the Lee Strasburg and you places. went for acting or? I went for acting. Oh yeah, which bleeds in. Okay, so after like, yeah, okay, so I get all the money that, you know, should have been there and I'm finally I can breathe again. But I'm like, so what do people do? You know, you keep working. That's what, you know? Yeah. So, and I, I networked my position into ironically working for the Veterans Benefit Administration, which are highly coveted jobs, very hard to get. Um, GS12, so you're making six figures in seven years and you're, you know, I was in the HR office and I'm sorry if this all gets boring, but you know, the day the lady who hired me was retiring and they're like, you get the black on black or the black on Tam Mercedes. Nobody leaves these jobs. You know what I mean? But I was sitting in the office as the examiner. And I'm reading people's medical records all day and they're interesting for the first hundred thousand. Then the job never changed. And, and, uh, I just started looking into acting schools. And I said, you know, I'm making enough money to where I don't have to do this job, and it's just for more money. And I don't, I don't have to. I just, I conceptually, I've never really understood money. We didn't grow up with it. Or my, or my dad, I didn't. I just, I understand that I'm kind of depressed when I don't have a lot of it.
0: When did you? Okay, that's fine. But when did? What made you want to go to acting school? Was it because you were doing journalism stuff and you're like, you want to be on Documentarian? yeah. Or?
1: Oh, no. Well, maybe go to acting school is because um, when I was a kid, I was a locky kid. And we would watch a lot of television, old Hollywood, AMC. But my favorite was Saturday Night Live. Okay. And I was always kind of smart back then. Like you, you just seem inherently smart. So I'm like, well, how did these people get on Saturday Night Live? And where did they come from? And so I started doing research or like, you know, interrogating, you know what I mean? Like my godmother, the one who I said, I'm going to join the military. She she makes me watch hair before I do it, make an informed decision. But, uh, and she said, oh, they, you know, uh, the second city, I kept hearing the second city in my head. And this was even before Tina Fey or like, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert was even there. It was just the core group of just, you know, Gilda Radner and, you know, Elaine May and Mike Nichols, the founders and, Just everything about the second city. So I lived in Chicago for about two years just getting on new medications and finally when I felt stable enough to go. And I did it. I did. I did. I did three or four levels. I'm an advanced improv at the Chicago Second City uh, and Scenic Improv. Very, very happy about that. It was um, the start of my... I say that if you know everything that happened that we just went over, it can leave. I don't. T- I don't judge a man of how he falls. You know what I mean. But I. It is how you pick yourself back up and where you go from there. That's what I'll judge your character on. And if I, I put on my LinkedIn profile, of like you know, if I were a heart patient, then you know the second city where the real world renowned cardiologist that came back and performed heart surgery on me and brought me back to life. They really did improv, changed my life. And um, I've, I've, I've just like, you know, I've always loved acting. I can't even watch Netflix or anything. I want to act. That's all I want to do. And uh, so I found an acting school.
0: And now you're making films.
1: I'm making films because um, I went to acting school. I went to uh, a couple different acting schools before I found my favorite, the Lee Strasberg. But... Um, in between which is a funny story I should tell you one day how I got my casting first casting director intern position which was at Liz Louise casting and I just I noticed who they were casting and what they were casting for and what these people looked like and I quickly realized that um, nobody was just going to walk up to me and say hey Diane you want to be in a movie you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So you decided to take the, take it into your own hands and take start making that. Take it my yeah. hands. So, do you, or so right now, that's why you're in Boston now is because you're making.
1: I'm in Boston because um, I ran away summer. from Chicago. Just kidding. <laughs> no, the, the, I'm in Boston. Oh, that's why I'm here. I,
0: I ran out yeah. of bridges to burn in Baltimore. I needed new we bridges. To, <laughs> yeah, I want
1: to interview you. You
0: should do my podcast. Um, so wait, uh, no, it's so okay you're, I, you're here because you're making I, a movie
1: No, I was taking a directing class at Harvard that,
0: That's what you were telling me the other day, directing class at Harvard Sorry, yes yeah, so I knew you were in town just for you, the you, everybody at the mental
1: institution <laughs> I did make it Harvard Extension Summer School But I didn't make it, God damn it! I said getting up to Boston's Like climbing a Nepalese mountain it Took forever
0: <laughs> So you're taking the directing class And then while you're here in class and school You're making a movie with a bunch of comedian friends that I know.
1: Yeah, Bad Ballerina. We were supposed to do Bad Ballerina. Um, bad Ballerina is something I shot in New York a year ago, last summer. It was birth that, I was taking a ballet class at Lee Strasberg. I'll be honest, I was kind of hungover. I know it's not attractive. And I had these uh, little uh, raccoon eyes and I was just feeling fat and bloated and they're wedding and going through you know, these dance, these skills, these moves. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, Diane, you're just a bad ballerina. <laughs> You're a bad ballerina. So I left class early and I'm like, fuck this ballet class. And you know, I'm not gonna belittle myself by looking at myself, fail miserably. Well, everybody else is so graceful on their toes, so to speak. So I left the class and I jaywalked while lighting a cigarette. I pushed over an old lady and barreled my way through a crowd, crashed in Union Square Park and said, Damn, I was breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. And I was like, bad ballerina. Bad ballerina, breaking the law should be a series of ballerinas doing bad shit and never suffering the ramifications of their actions. No. Everybody else in the wake of their madness suffers the ramifications of their actness. actions. Enter my uh, protagonist, Gabriel Pacheco. He's amazing. We'll watch bad ballerina together sometime.
0: Yeah. You're writing
1: Bad Ballerina. Is that what you're filming here? I wrote Bad Ballerina 1, and um, the intention was to do Bad Ballerina 2, The Bad Librarian, starring Valley. Okay. And we did some press for it. I was on Fallon's Daily Toast. And, you know, I just, I, 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 I mold over it, and I wrote it, and... Uh, uh, I'm old fashioned so I write on paper and like maybe I wasn't committing it because I didn't take a picture and save it to my G job. For some reason or another I lost fucking Gusto in this project. Gusto? I just I'm Gusto. The Gusto. The, the... Je ne sais quoi? The je ne sais quoi. Okay, gotcha. It was just like I knew I wanted to work with Gabriel. I love Gabriel. Um, and having him return to the screen adds continuity to my body of work. You know what I mean? You see yeah. it all the time. Brad Pax and such and I just I know I love working with him and I still wanted to work with Valley but bad ballerina was done in my eyes that there was a couple locations that I had um set and they had to pull out like we had a motorized boat and then just it just logistically just nothing was really coming together and I'm I can write a treatment for a character I, I writing dialogue plays not my forte so it's like a Larry David blueprint, you know, base outline kind of open dialogue. That's why I love improvers and smart comedians. But um,
0: your question: What is the movie that you're filming here? Bad Librarians, which is the no, sequel bad to Bad Librarian.
1: Powers. Bad li- Bad Ballerina. Bad Librarian got canned last last minute.
0: Called a bipolar choice. So the thing that you came here to that you were gonna film, the, the sequel to Bad Ballerina is done. Not gonna happen. Not this summer. Ah, uh-huh. when did this happen? We just talked Saturday. I know. I have a new plan. So literally six days ago you told me you were here to film a movie, that you were gonna film a movie. You're taking the direct pass you're gonna make the, the this thing with her tomorrow. Well, That's I know. why we couldn't do it. I know, but well,
1: listen, 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 listen. Half the shoots are outside, they're on the Charles River. Then I had them in the boat, and then the boat guy canceled. All my shots are outside. There's a 60% chance of rain in the area for the next fucking two years
0: in Boston. (laughs) Yeah, the weather is fucking raging. It's July 14th, and it's 60 degrees outside. It's retarded. I mean, I love it, kind of. I I love the So you told me about the barn. Are you going to be using it for a location? Well, yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you. So we scrapped
1: scrapped that ballerina. And Two. we need Bad Ballerina, the Bad Librarian, too mm-hmm. is postponed. It's not necessarily scrapped, because I want to make Bad Ballerina Bad Ballerina goes to Bora Bora really bad, and I can't do that with them, <laughs> too. So, uh, you know, uh, being the improviser that I am, I asked Fallon O'Brien to marry me. I'm like, come on. I'm like, a gold mine, hidden benefits. Just let me take care of you. Make me an honest woman. And she said no. And I'm like, let's debate this, which I think is great. So we're taking the Dunstable Mass, John Mason, the guy lending us the house, and I'm not really allowed to talk about it because Gabriel was interviewed earlier about it and he didn't talk about it. Let's just say we're going to have a conversation all around, um, well, I'm 32 and, well, it's around marriage and it's around um, open marriage. Um, It's, you know... The, the idea, of kids, do you want kids? I don't want kids. Do I want kids. All of a sudden, I want kids. Now we're talking about kids. You know what I mean? Money. You know what I mean? Um, but there is a surprise. Like, Valley in the end is going to, like, throw Gabriel, like, okay, so, um by the way, you know, now that, because I hope they see eye to eye in the end. It is a love story or whatever. Then she's going to be like, yeah, well, thank you for loving me. Now I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life because I'm a millionaire. The, you know, because that's what happened to me um, with Ryan. Uh, I visited Florida, and I came home, and I was like, Ryan, I, it's not that I don't love you. It's just that I'm not in love with you anymore, and I might have fallen in love with somebody else. And if I did that, then that's not fair to you. I never cheated on him. And then I'm like, I hope everything goes well in your life. And he's like, yeah, everything's going really well, because his mom just married some super fucking loathy dude, and
2: everything's <laughs>
1: So I'm just like, you know what I mean? It's like irony, it's life. You know what I mean? Like, would this change anything? That didn't change anything for me. I wasn't going to kiss Ryan's ass and try to fall back in love with him just because I found out there's Escobar money in the family now.
0: So the thing that you're shooting tomorrow with Val and Brian is his name? Or Gabriel? Gabriel. Paper. Gabriel. Okay, I felt like there was a Brian mentioned somewhere, and I get I get confused. I wasn't mm-hmm. writing down notes, so I I forget things. That's why I have a patent paper. The thing you guys are shooting is a conversation, right? conversation around
1: marriage, and I would like to know. You know what I mean? Like, if in fact, you know, how much is Valerie getting money? Ma- would is Valerie getting married? No, but Valerie's a smart girl. Nobody's getting married. Okay, it's just a conversation, like. When I was at the Second City, I was friends with this girl named Shia Degrassi. She's a really... She produces Mortified. Um, If you look it up, it's all around the country. But um, she was a friend of mine in the Second City, and she said... She was dating a guy from Boston, and they broke up, and she had a good friend. She's like, yeah, this girlfriend of me, we're going to have a Boston marriage. And I said to myself, well, I fucking... What's a Boston marriage? The way she described a Boston marriage to me was that, you know... um, Two people come together, they live amicably in an open or not open relationship. Um, that they share what? the finances, that it's usually an artistic, you know, union. And um everybody has their name too. <laughs> well, she's Boston an asshole. She wasn't yeah. And then I interviewed these other people and they said a Boston marriage is like that transatlantic old money couple, and that's a Boston marriage. And then there's marriage, and then there's what i find most fascinating the open relationship and i think that's a can of worms so what basically we're doing tomorrow is we're going to john mason the co-producer i'm going to give him that credit um we're going to his property in dunstable mass from 10 o'clock to three and um we are going to film a uh, hopefully a very riveting conversation um with uh Polarizing viewpoints, and under my direction, we'll get a lot of intel.
0: Is this going to be a documentary or is this fiction?
1: Um, this is fiction. Okay, so that's why. That's I, why I got. Any time <laughs> you're working with comedians and giving them the liberty to improv, fiction is just it's fiction
0: the way it sounded it sounded like you're shooting a documentary almost uh, with people's opinions about marriage okay no that's just because
1: we've been talking for three hours and like um my inflection (laughs) i'm afraid
0: i'm getting monotone because i'm really excited about this it sounds like it's going to be interesting now that i know it's fiction, it's
1: something to pull out of my ass valley she's been all around the world this summer russia cyprus and she's been telling her friends and family she's getting you know she's starring in bad ballerina Gabriel, for Christ's sake, he landed today with Amber. You know what I mean? Thinking they're all going to be doing bad ballerina. I had to give them something. So why not discuss marriage, for Christ's
0: sake? <laughs> as characters.
1: As characters. As okay. the, I'm placing them as the intellectual elite, like in, um, where are we? New England. So I think Gabriel brought a peach shirt a peach
0: collared shirt and
1: maybe some loafers okay and a fedora
0: all righty sounds very douchey which i think that's what he was aiming for where when this is done where are they gonna be able to see it
1: you know a lot of people say that um i'm kind of against venmeo because it's like uh they have a very vimeo vimeo i've had uh, nothing but problems uploading i hate them
0: Every time yeah. i, I it, it they're like I get that they're uncompressed and it's you get you get mm. better image, but it takes so long to load. I mean it shouldn't take that long no, i can never I've never been able to watch a Vimeo video all the way through you know because it keeps pausing and look. I just throw my hands up and I give up, but yep. that's why I, sorry YouTube is compression, but it's good compression, and I like it, and it's quick and fast and I have no problems with it so.
1: And then there's Facebook, which is a double-edged sword. Not only does it have the fastest motherfucking uploader, but you can't extract the file later on. I mean, there's one way you can do it. You can go into your settings and extract your entire file at any point in time and puts it in a zip you can send it to your G drive. It archives literally every footprint you make. But in this case, it's not easy to pull videos off of Facebook, Facebook that you uploaded. Fastly onto so I don't know uh, I that's what the New England School of Photography in the first year that I'll be there they're gonna uh, teach us website building content Okay. as of right now it's just I, I'm a junkie for myself like doing all this publicity makes me you know really feel like a, I mean for all intents and purposes I am a director and a producer but it makes me feel a little more real but I don't have a professional outlet for it right now because I couldn't even get anybody to watch Bad Ballerina 1 you know what I mean
0: well, where actually, can people see that
1: on my Facebook.
0: So it's only only up on Facebook.
1: I'll release it again on Facebook, but... Uh,
0: Forget Facebook. Why don't I put it up on YouTube, too? But if you put it on more outlets... Yeah. The more outlets you put it out on, the, the, the people are able to see it. I know, which is
1: cool. Because trust
0: those. me, promoting a thing is a whole nother job. Uh, promoting, uh, what's it, a short? What, how long is Bad yeah, I guess
1: I should give a shit because people do need to see mm-hmm. this.
0: How like long is Bad Bounder? Ten minutes, twenty 26. minutes, twenty six. Wow, that's a that's a long short.
1: It was unedited. I mean, it was edited, but like I kept a lot in because it was like a director's cut.
0: Yeah, you got to learn to kill your babies. Yeah, I still have a problem with it myself, especially when it comes to joke writing. There's certain jokes that I still tell just because I enjoy them. Uh, l- uh, do you have a website yet um, or a YouTube?
1: The best way to find me is. Um, because when this this random, conversation random Wednesdays on Jed's basements <laughs> no um, the best way to get a hold of me is uh, Diane the Magnificent that's on Instagram D-I-A-N-N-E the Magnificent spelled correctly that's at Gmail okay and then there is Diane the Magnificent on Instagram yep
0: and there you have it my podcast with Diane Carroll counterintelligent agent and filmmaker it was a, it was a fascinating listen alright so here's the thing though her, you just heard her talk about all the movies and stuff like that, and she was gonna do the marriage talk thing with them. That never happened because later that night, uh, I end up giving her a ride home, um, and in the midst of the car, we were talking, and I was like, "Hey, you know what? I got these these small short sketches. If you ever wanna uh, work together and and make these, I'd be happy." And she's like, "Oh yeah, great. What are they?" And I give her the link to where I store everything, and she's reading. I was like, "Oh, these are these are great. Hey." Can I make one of these tomorrow instead? I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. Go make two of them. I don't care as long as they get made." Uh, so she ended up making one of my uh, sketches with uh, Valley and uh, uh, and Gabriel Pacheco. Uh, so they end up making it. Uh, she's still in the editing process, so when that's out, uh, and I'll, I'll put a link to it on DeadAirDennis.com, and I'll tweet about it. So if you follow me on social media, you'll you'll see about it. Um, and I think she's making another one of my things. I I don't care. Just credit me. If you want to make one of the dumb sketches I write, uh, which aren't many of them, just be my guest. Go for it. They're all online at deadardennis.com. Just, you know, credit me as the writer. That's all I care. I just want them to be made. I think they're funny. I think they're good. So we'll see how those turn out in the future. I saw a little bit of a rough draft and they improved a little bit, which I like. Um, so I think it's, I think it'll be, it'll be good. We'll see. But anyway, yeah, fascinating talk about, uh, mental health. Uh, we went deep into it, uh, because, you know, there's a lot there and a lot of people are, are suffering from it. So it's something that we had to talk about. Uh, something else I got to talk about is uh, let's uh, comics, comics, comedy club in Mohican Sun. I did that uh, last night. And uh, well, here's the thing about it. Uh, I did not move on to the second round. Basically, it's a competition thing. that This club does. I did it two years ago when it was at Foxwoods. They're at Mohican Sun now, which is a casino in Connecticut, uh, which is not far from Foxwoods, it's like basically across the street. Uh, and I had a great set i was happy with it. I did not move on. Um, I had a fun trip all the way out to Connecticut with uh, my roommates or my former roommates' dog. Uh, I'm Dog sitting, and I brought uh, Pepper, uh, this adorable, cute beagle that's sitting in my lap right now, just quietly, just laying there. Uh, never barks. She like there was. A, I'm house sitting at their place, and yesterday the mailman came by, uh, or Saturday the mailman came by, and she just got up and went. Murr. like it's not even a bark or a growl it's just mrr um and she's adorable so she's just sitting here in my lap as I'm recording this um but yeah so it was a fun trip i enjoyed it i got laughs I think i got a pretty decent tape out of it we'll we'll see uh, uh so i'm happy about that so comedy things that's it and then i'm doing a well not, I don't want to say taking a break. I'm not taking a break. Uh, in the month of August, I am not doing any comedy shows. And I'm not working to have any. Because I have a ton of rehearsals for this play that's coming out. I'm doing a... It's a series of short plays um, for this local theater group. Uh, and it's called the Festival at First Nine. Uh, oh, Festival at First. Nine. So, they're... <laughs> it's a weird group. I'm not even quite sure where they are. But they're great. Uh, it's uh, six short plays all about Boston and I'm doing one of the plays in it and uh, they're all pretty funny and I'm actually impressed with how funny a lot of them are Um, but here's the thing Uh, they hired me they they casted me in the only role that is not comical. <laughs> like, I play a guy who beats his wife that dies in the Cocoa Club fire of 1942 or whatever it is. That's apparently a very famous fire here in Boston. Every other sketch, hilarious. Me, they cast, they even specifically said, hey, uh, the role's not, there's not a lot of jokes in it. Uh, you were very funny in the audition. Uh, but uh, the role does uh, have a lot of uh, opportunities for you to do physical comedy where I think you shine the most in the audition. And I was like, I don't, I didn't do anything physical, <laughs> and the only physical comedy stuff is uh, roughing up another guy. Like it's gonna be a good place. So if you're in the Boston area, uh, some of it, we're doing it at one of my favorite places, the Rock, the Rockwell in Davis Square, uh, formerly the Davis Square Theater, but it's now called the Rockwell. Uh, it's right next to Saloon if you're, uh, on Elm, if you're familiar with it. Uh, but yeah, we're doing a bunch of those, like August 18th through the 26th um, shows, Friday Saturday. Uh, And I think there's a matinee on Sunday. DeadourDennis.com if you want to check that out. It's going to be a fun play. I'm actually really impressed with uh, what everybody's bringing to the table on that. Because uh, I walked into... And you know, I was like, oh, community theater. Oh, you guys wrote it yourself. Oh, you know, as I make a jerking off motion. But they're actually very uh, talented. A lot of them are very talented, um, and the writing is actually very good. And I'm very impressed with it. I'm very happy. I'm a part of it, and I'm glad that they l- made me a part of it as well. So, uh, if you want to do that, check that out. And uh, like I said, stay to the website, and we'll see more coming up uh, about the sketches as they get finished and they get uh, filmed and get put online. So, anyway, thank you again for listening.